0: is racism hurting you on issues of race are you unable to speak think and act with clarity and confidence are you tired of laughing when nothing is funny smiling when you are not happy agreeing when you really disagree Counterracism.com, you can learn specific strategies and techniques to counter the behaviors of the people who practice racism in all areas of activity. Using words correctly, following counter-racist logic, even counter-racist science projects designed to reveal what racism is, how it works, and how to counter it. The open source code writing format allows you to pick and choose from a variety of counter-racist suggestions so you can produce the code that works for you. Stop by CounterRacism.com today and help replace racism with justice.
1: That's Counter-Racism.com.
2: Greetings.
3: Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Another edition of the COW's Context of White Supremacy. Looking to get constructive information on the system of racism, white supremacy, what it is and how it works. Again, please check the blog, racism-notes.blogspot.com. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you in the chat room. We are going to be taking calls today. The number is three four seven two one five six zero seven one. 215 um, hope everybody enjoys the show, finds constructive information, and uh, Yes, we're going to move forward. Today's guest, Mr. Tim Wise.
4: Are you on the phone, sir? I am. Right on. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. All right. Good deal. Groovy.
3: Um, For anyone, in case they're listening and are not familiar with your work, what it is you do, could you
4: please uh, any constructive information you want to share about your work, sir? Oh, sure. Um, Well, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to describe, but I guess the the most basic way to put it is that uh, I'm a, a writer and uh, a lecturer slash, you know, trainer. What I hate that term, but it's the one that's given sometimes in this work, uh, who does anti-racism work around the country, have been doing that kind of thing for about 20 years. First off, started in sort of grassroots community-based organization and then uh, started doing that work around the country with Colleges, universities, uh, government agencies, labor unions, nonprofit groups, occasionally companies, though not very often, uh, to do undoing institutional racism work at those places. Um, And uh, I've written four books, uh, a couple hundred articles, on the subject of of mostly institutional racism and white privilege. Okay, okay. Um, Your website also, timwise.org, is that correct? Yeah, that's the that's my main website. I also um blog over at redroom dot com and uh but yeah the main the main website I have is just Timwise dot org, right? Okay. Groovy. Um yeah, very uh very much appreciative of you taking time to speak with us today, sir. Um okay. Mr., Mr Wise, uh oh, first of all, are you a white person? Yes, yes. Okay. Um Mr. Wise and myself, um, we both do a lot of work. Would it be correct to say that you and I both feel that there is a system of racism, white supremacy in place, and we are both looking to do constructive work to replace that system of racism, white supremacy with justice? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. Um, Mr. Wise, and I'll say this before I even get to this,
3: generally there's no person I can think of who I agree
4: with everything that they have to say about racism, white supremacy. I have yet to find a person that I agree with all of their views uh, about how the system of racism, white supremacy works and what non-white people, victims of white supremacy, and what white people should be doing to correct this problem. Um, regardless, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Mr. Neely Fuller, Jr., Dr. Robert Jensen, nobody. Um, Mr. Wise, no exception. Mr. Wise and I do not have agreement on uh, some aspects of the system of racism, white supremacy. We was of course, just enough to call in to uh, discuss those views uh, today on our program. Sure. Um, you uh,
3: had an interview uh, on June 25, 2008, and you said, I'm quoting, "I think it's perfectly valid for folks of color." To wonder just what the hell I'm up to. Mm-hmm.
4: I wouldn't trust me either if I was in that situation, uh, that situation being a non white person. Um, did you say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Um, so, as a non white person, mm-hmm. it is correct for me to be suspicious of you as a white person and the work you do that you say is anti-racism work. That is a correct and valid stance for me to take as a non-white person, a victim of white supremacy. Right. I think beyond that, it's not only that that part is valid. I think that, and as I said on that show, and I've said many other times that, you know, I think for folks of color to uh, whenever uh, they are interacting with white folks, maybe on the job or uh, in a school or in any situation, given the extent to which white folks have been consistently uh, elevated in the society and propagandized to believe that that elevation is legitimate and justified and the extent to which I think, and I think the research bears it out, the extent to which white folks have indeed internalized to one degree or another aspects of white supremacist and racist thinking, then I think it's perfectly valid for folks of color not just to – have skepticism or doubt about whites who claim to be anti-racist but to probably start with the presupposition that a white person raised in that culture probably hasn't even begun to think about the problems with that culture to counter condition and is probably Uh, at least at some level, a racist-slash-white supremacist. I I think it's perfectly a valid assumption to start with. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's not only true for me, but I think it would be true when interacting with any uh, person called white in this society. Okay. I want to uh, just clarify, really, for my programs, I hope that the information is easy to digest, uh, even for someone if they don't have a high school diploma Um, that they'll be able to tune in, and and if there is constructive information on the programs, that they will be able to clearly understand it. Uh, So I just want to restate to see if I understand what you're saying correctly. Um, For a non-white person, a victim of white supremacy, it would be logical and correct for them to suspect that any and all white people, including yourself, Mr. Wise, have been conditioned to function As a racist white supremacist, and I'll define that as white people have been conditioned to function in a way that they participate in the systemic abuse of non-white people. Would that be correct? Well, I, I would say it may be just slightly differently, although it might lead in the same direction. I would just say that I think it would be perfectly valid to suspect that any white person raised in such a culture as we have here uh, that they will most definitely have internalized belief systems and attitudes which they're not going to be at the same level but every white person will have internalized some of that so that racism and white supremacist thinking will be part of who they are now whether or not uh, they will have been conditioned to participate in some active way, uh, let alone a deliberate way uh, in, in the maintenance of that system, may may or may not be true. But I would argue, and I have argued, that even if you don't think you're participating in the system, to some extent every white person in a system of white supremacy, just because we receive the benefits of that system, I would argue we do indirectly at the very least contribute to it, if not directly. So uh, that may be just a different way of saying what you said, uh, but, I mean, ultimately what I'm suggesting is that it's perfectly valid to assume that white folks uh, have been conditioned and have therefore internalized some racist thinking. Whether or not they're acting on that, whether or not they're trying to resist that, whether or not they are fighting against that system as opposed to actively contributing to it, that's something I don't know. I mean, I guess it would be fair to assume it, um, although that's a slightly deeper and different level. I think most people don't even think about the systems they participate in, whether it's economic, racial, political. I don't think most folks, particularly in the United States, are raised to think in terms of systems at all. We tend to have a very individualistic analysis. We tend to have this belief that you know people are all merely individuals. And even the concept of racism, when I ask people around the country what they think it is, they tend to say that it's you know personal prejudice or hatred for other people, which is that very individualistic aspect as opposed to the systemic. So I'm not, I'm not sure that we're being conditioned to even think in terms of systems, but we're certainly being conditioned to have those beliefs. And I think that when you have those beliefs, the odds that you're going to act out in some way directly or indirectly that contributes to the system is certainly greater than it would be otherwise. Okay. Um, if I could make a uh, request, it's been my experience that non-white people um, have deficiencies in language. It's been my experience that it's very helpful in discussions of racism, white supremacy, if uh, individuals who are speaking can make a conscious effort to make their responses uh, concise, uh, as concise as possible to convey information. I know this can be a difficult matter to uh, speak on but if you could make that effort I would would greatly appreciate it I will try hard yeah absolutely thank you sir Um, I just want to be correct um, about what I'm saying because words are very important and I just want to be very clear Uh, is it correct to say that all white people including yourself directly and or indirectly participate in the systematic abuse of non-white people under the system of white supremacy is that a correct statement I think that's fair, yeah. I, the way you just said it there I think is fair. Directly or indirectly, absolutely. I think that white folks in this right. system will participate in that, absolutely. Okay. okay. Um, and as such, that should be the foundation for non-white people being suspicious of all white people under the system of racism, white supremacy, including yourself. That would be a valid and correct stance to take for any sensible, logical-thinking non-white person victim of white supremacy. Is that correct? I think, yeah, I think a healthy skepticism uh, toward white folks raised in that culture would be very valid and very logical and very understandable, just as a means of of self-defense. Absolutely. Outstanding, outstanding. Um, To your knowledge, are a significant number of the non-white people that you come in contact with suspicious of you? as a white person in the system of white supremacy. To my knowledge, many are. Um, To my knowledge, there are also others who I don't sense are. And I have to be honest that sometimes the latter group worry me more than the former group. In other words, those folks of color who are almost too likely to praise the things that I do as a white person doing this work, sometimes that makes me a little more nervous because I do think that skepticism is healthy. You know, I don't think that it ought to be such that folks wouldn't work with me or or engage with me around the issues, but I think a healthy skepticism is important. So sometimes it makes me nervous when I don't think folks view me with enough skepticism, and I will often even say that. You know, one of the ways that I try to be accountable in the work I do is make sure that as often as I can in my writing and speeches that I am specifically holding up the work of scholars of color community grassroots organizers of color so that we all can remember, not just the folks of color in the room, but the white folks too, that whatever knowledge I have about the issues, the system of racism, white supremacy, that this isn't something, you know, I came up with just because I'm so smart, quote unquote, that it's really the accumulated wisdom of a lot of other people uh, who have been mentors to me. So, so yes, to my knowledge, there are those who doubt and there are those who don't, um, and, you know, and probably those who don't know one way or the other, I suppose. Okay. I did want to reiterate before I ask my next question that you said, it is a greater concern to you, the non-white people, who do not demonstrate that they are suspicious of you, as a white person and as a participant in the system of white supremacy, you said that was a great concern to you. Is that correct? It's greater than those who express skepticism, right? Because you know, I feel like if you don't express any skepticism, then you know, I know, or at least I feel as though my intentions are are legitimate and that I'm trying to do the work, however imperfectly I might do it. But I do know, because I have had plenty of contact with uh, other white folks, and I can remember myself maybe twenty, twenty-five years ago. Um, and I know that there are white folks who claim to be allies who aren't really allies, and so I worry when a white person can get that level of respect um, that it could be misplaced. I'm hoping it's not misplaced in me, and I'm trying to make sure it won't be, but I know that there are other folks in whom it would be, and me 20, 25 years ago, it certainly would have been. That's for, that's for sure.
5: Okay,
4: okay. Okay. Um, So as a white person, uh, Mr. Wise, you said that you do directly and or indirectly uh, participate in the system of white supremacy, uh, even in the work that you do, the the alleged anti-racist work uh, that you do, uh, and that every white person in the universe participates directly and or indirectly in the system of white supremacy. Um, Does your work encourage and or suggest that all non-white people, be suspicious of all white people, no exceptions, under the system of white supremacy. Well, I don't know if it's always said explicitly in my work. I certainly say it uh, as often as I can. A lot of times after speeches, that kind of question would come up, and I'm very quick to make the point uh, that you know if someone likes what I've written or likes what I've said, obviously I appreciate that. I think like any human being, you know, I like praise just like anyone else. But I'm always quick to point out that whatever praise is being given to me should not excuse me from nonetheless being suspected of likely, as I put it oftentimes, screwing up. You know, those of us who are anti-racist or claim to be anti-racist and are trying to be anti-racist or to be allies um, are going to make mistakes regularly. And even when we don't want to make mistakes, even when we don't want to contribute, to marginalization, oppression, etc. Uh, there's a good likelihood that we are going to do that sometimes anyway. And I just want to always try to keep myself honest about that and make sure that other folks know uh, that that happens. Because you know the tendency would be to give so much slack to the white person who says, I'm an anti-racist, or to the man who says, I'm anti-sexist, that there isn't that skepticism that we need. So I try to point it out as often as possible. I don't always work that line, so to speak, into every article I write or every speech that I give. But it comes up pretty regularly. Okay. Uh, I wanted to point out two things uh, that you said there. When you say screwing up white people who allege to do anti-racist work, that they occasionally screw up, quote, unquote, make mistakes, uh, marginalize non-white people, would it be correct to say these screw-ups would be white people who practice or allege to practice anti-racism do Often end up practicing racism, white supremacy, whether they intend to or not. Would that be correct? Right. And for a person who claims to be anti-racist, that's a screw up. Now, for someone who doesn't claim it, that would be operating as usual. But you know, for someone who's trying to do the right thing, uh, nonetheless doing the wrong thing would be, in that person's mind, certainly in my mind, would be a screw up, a failure, a uh, a flaw, a failing of some sort. Yeah. Okay. Do you think, uh, because as I said, it's been my experience. I could be wrong based on my studies, my observations. Non-white people, including myself, have major deficiencies in language where it's very helpful, I have found, to make things as easy to understand as possible. Do you think it would be constructive if non-white people heard in very explicit terms non-white people, victims of white supremacy, You should be suspicious of every white person
3: in the known universe, including myself, as long as
4: the system of racism, white supremacy exists, because all white people, including myself, directly and or indirectly participate in the systemic abuse of non-white people. Do you think it would be constructive for non-white people to hear that from you? Sure. I think it would be constructive to hear that and then to have a conversation about what it means to then try to hold me or anyone else accountable for the claims that we make. That, to me, is the second part of the conversation. But that first part is absolutely valid, and that's why when it comes up, uh, I put it in either those terms or terms very similar to that, or I will often even broach that subject when I do workshops or, or so-called trainings or whatever you know phrase we want to use. Absolutely, I think that's helpful. Okay.
1: Um, Again,
4: this is uh, Mr. Tim Wise, uh, author, lecturer, um, white person, uh, alleged to do anti-racist work, Gusty Renegade on the context of white supremacy. Um, A lot of the suspicion that I have around really all of the white people who allege to do anti-racist work um, revolves around I do not get a sense, just based on the results, watching non-white people who are familiar with your work, who've read your book, uh, and who've had contact with other white people who allege to do anti-racist work, Mm. the result that I see is that they do not have suspicion of yourself or Dr. Peggy McIntosh and Mm. uh, other white people, Dr. Robert Jensen, other white people who do this work. They do not have suspicion of these white people. And as you said, that is a major concern of yours when you see non-white people who fail to have Suspicion about white people in the system of white supremacy. So that's one of the major concerns that I have that I wanted to address today because I think that's I just feel that that's putting yourself in an extremely dangerous and vulnerable position as a non-white person victim of white supremacy. And it seems that you have a lot of the same concerns. Yeah, Um, I think I think that's true. Right. Right. I I think, and that, and uh, the the question then for people like. Uh, Peggy and and Bob and and others and I know know all these folks and and consider them to be friends and and, uh, you know important uh, aspiring allies but for all of us what that means for me the fact that there are many who do not express what I would think is sufficient healthy skepticism like I said there's some but the fact that there are many who do not express that uh, then the question for me as someone who's trying to do the work with integrity is what do I then do um, to do two things? One, to constantly make the point that we should not assume allyship uh, just because one claims to be an ally. So what, I want to make sure that that point is out there. I always say you know, an ally is not what you say you are. It's what you do. And I want people to judge my work and my contribution by um, you know, the work, not the words, by the impact, not the claims – Uh, and and constantly give me the kind of feedback that will allow me to do the work with as much integrity and effect as possible. So I try to plant the seeds of of doubt, again, healthy doubt, healthy skepticism in in any audience because I don't want the dynamic of white privilege and then the added aspect of male privilege, which I also enjoy, to double up in a way that gives me more credibility just based on the aesthetic, just based on the, the optics, the way I look than a person of color saying the very same thing, let's say, about the system and being ignored. And I try to point that out as often as possible so that not only folks of color, but white folks too will understand the way that we can get sucked into this dynamic even when we claim to be about the work. Okay. I, I did want to point out um, in terms of the suspicion of all white people, uh, If you said, feedback from non-white people and holding you accountable, I think it would be constructive because as a white person in the system of white supremacy, you do have more credibility than a non-white person uh, who, is, who would say the exact same thing that you do. That is, the, that is a product of the yes. system of white supremacy. So I think it would be incredibly constructive if you said in explicit terms that non-white people should be suspicious of every white person in the known universe as long as the system of racism, white supremacy exists. I think that would have a huge impact, and I do not see that in non-white people who are familiar with your work now. Uh, and that, that is a major concern that I have. Uh, in terms of accountability, though, because I've, I've seen that in your work as well, uh, you, said that you, to, you said it today, uh, that you want to be held accountable to non-white people. What do you mean when you say, uh, accountable uh, to non-white people? right? Well, for me, accountability, and, and many of us have been talking about this concept for a long time, and it's not a perfectly defined concept, even in our own minds, let alone is there some sort of fixed definition of it. But but what I have come to is that, for me, accountability, uh, for me and for, and for white folks who are trying to be allies in the struggle against racism and white supremacy, is... Uh, A question of, are we responding to the leadership, for example, and the direction of people of color in terms of what they are saying white folks need to be doing in challenging other white folks? And I take that uh, notion of accountability as the first aspect of it from looking at the history of the struggle, particularly in the United States, and how in the latter part of the 1960s, SNCC, when SNCC became uh, essentially an all-black organization, what white folks in SNCC were told to do uh, by Stokely Carmichael, you know, later Kwame Touré, and others, was we need you not to be in this room with us, not to be breaking bread and singing Kumbaya and all that, but we need you to go into white communities and to talk to white folks and to challenge white folks because we, now I'm talking, you know, this is what they were saying as as black folks, as folks of color, we need you, meaning white folks, do that because they, meaning white folks, won't listen to us. Um, And so coming out of that tradition, coming out of that understanding of history, something that Malcolm X also said when he came back from Mecca, talked about how he wished that he had uh, told white folks more explicitly, you need to be challenging your people. Um, To me, that's what white folks who are trying to be accountable will do. We won't decide what the agenda is. We won 't decide what are the issues that black and brown folk around the globe are facing. We won't make that up. We won't pick that because it 's not our place to say, "Well, we know what you need or we know what your community or your nation or your culture need it's for us to to listen to what those communities of color are talking about what are they experiencing as a result of white supremacy and follow that so that's the That's the first and I think the most important aspect of accountability, but it also means Am I giving back in the sense, and there are lots of ways to give back uh, as a white aspiring ally. One is to make sure that you are regularly, and I try to do this every time, regularly holding up the work, the words, the wisdom of people of color, directing those who are in your audiences or who read your books, etc., or who come to your website to the scholarship, the wisdom of people of color. So that means if I go to a college and give a talk, um, I sit down with the folks who bring me, and I tell them, you know, it's not enough to bring me in or to bring Peggy or Bob or these other white folks. You also have got to be bringing in the voices of folks of color. Now, maybe these schools think, well, we got to start with Tim Wise because most of our students at this college, you know, ABC College, happen to be white, and we think they won't hear it from anybody but a white person first. If that's what they think, Fine, but they can't stay in that spot. They have to then move past simply white voices and make sure that folk of color are being brought in, that their books are being taught if my books are being taught, that they're being brought in for speeches if I'm being brought in for speeches. And so I'm very clear and forthright with places about that. To me, that's a way to give back. Um, There are other ways financially to give back. I do some of that, and right now I'm actually talking with some of the other white folks who do this kind of work About creating some actual fund that those of us who are white and make our livings, even a little bit, talking about this issue maybe not 100%, but maybe somebody teaches in a college or they're a civil rights lawyer or anything there are hundreds of white folks who, in some way, make their living talking about this subject that we should be putting forward some portion of our income into a fund that would then be tappable, if you will, usable, if you will, by uh, grassroots people-of-color-led organizations uh, so that that would be another way for us to make sure that some of the fruits of our labor are not just staying with us, but that they're going back to the communities most impacted by, by racism and white supremacy. Now, that latter part is in the very early stages of discussion and development, but to me, that's another aspect of trying to be more accountable in the work that we do. Okay. Uh, again, want to remind, uh, if you could make the responses concise, that would be helpful. No, I'm so I, sorry. I, I just wanted to that's a, – that's a complicated question or sure. answer. So yeah, I, thank you. I felt that was very constructive information. That's why I didn't say anything. And But just a reminder. But I did think that was constructive. Um, and I, I want to recap for the folks that are listening in accountability. You said uh, that it was being accountable to non-white scholars, Uh, And the work that they have done, knowledge that they have shared, being accountable to them, opening doors so that they can come in and speak to others, uh, and giving back, whether that is funds or whatever other constructive resources that you can uh, aid non-white people, victims of white supremacy, as a form of giving back, among among other ways that you make an effort to give back. Um, And would you, you would be accountable to, would it be all of the non-white people? Would it be a portion? Uh, Right. Well, you know, it's obviously different folks are going to have different feelings and not every person of color is going to have the exact same take or the exact same interpretation. So it is always, I would imagine, impossible to be entirely accountable to even a thousand different people, let alone, you know, millions of different people. What I try to do, and this may or may not be the best way to do it, but one of the things that I try to do is pay very close attention to what communities of color are saying what 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 identified leaders in the community are saying what media is saying and i don't just mean those leaders who are recognized and sort of patted on the back by the white community i mean you know the folks that are really doing the work who have radio shows like yours who have you know media uh, alternative media programs because to me there's a long history of white folks picking and choosing the people of color to whom they will respond and and i try not to to engage in that and and so it's about finding out sort of what is going on in a community listening paying attention uh... seeing who the folks are who are out there doing the work and then trying to get feedback from them elevate them it's an imperfect science though for sure because there are going to be voices of people of color out there that i'm not going to know about for example and so if I don't know about somebody and their particular perspective, I might not be able to hold them up, elevate their words, get them in for a lecture, try to you know, get their books taught in the college, that kind of thing. Some of that is very imperfect. It's all imperfect, but um, it's always about trying to broaden that circle of accountability as broad as you can. I understand that. I am still learning myself, sir. Um, as I have a radio program, as you pointed out, and I invest uh, as much of my time and energy Uh, in this work of attempting to counter racism, white supremacy. Um, One of the key issues that I observe that is just constantly coming up and really one of the core issues I feel in working to replace the system of white supremacy with a system of justice is sexual intercourse between non-whites and whites. Uh, I know you have written about Marcus Dixon. Uh, This subject matter comes up on your website. Uh, You said that you heard the program with Dr. Moore, uh, Dr. Dr. Eddie Moore, for the folks listening in. He is the founder of the White Privilege Conference. Uh, He also works as the director of diversity at the Bush School in Seattle, Washington. He's also a really swell guy. Um, He uh, was talking about on the program being in a sexual relationship with an admitted racist Uh, female uh, and he indicated on the program that she does not pass his theory of incapability that she sees him as a nigger direct quote that's what he said on the program Hmm. Um, I have concluded that as long as the system of racism white supremacy exists it is incorrect for white people to engage in sexual intercourse with non-white people for a myriad of reasons but the power dynamic, and the fact that white people have consistently shown the ability to practice white supremacy and engage in sexual intercourse with non-white people. Um, Do you have a view on that, and do you think it is incorrect for this uh, behavior to take place under the system of white supremacy? Well, I'm not going to use the word incorrect. Here's the term I will use. I will just say it's risky, And, and I think I might have said this the last time I was on your show, because the power dynamic most definitely complicate I won't even say risk I'll say complicated because to me in a system of white supremacy which is by definition about white over non-white in terms of power dynamics uh, for white folks and for people of color to be professional colleagues for people of color to be close friends or for white folks and people of color to be romantically and or sexually involved always carries risk and carries I'm not going to suggest, therefore, that it can never be done or that it shouldn't be done, and I I certainly don't think that it is wrong in some sort of moral or ethical sense that I'm comfortable saying. But I will say that I've had enough experience knowing, you know, many uh, interracial couples to know that these things occasionally become a problem. Unless, and I I, I want to point this out, Um, I'm not going to say unless because they're always complicated, but. It can, the complication can be lessened and the relationship can be successful and healthy if those individuals, let's say, a white person and a person of color in a romantic relationship, are open and talk about this stuff from the beginning. It cannot be left to, you know, oh, we'll get around to that." And the problem I have seen is that there are sometimes that couples, just like with friends, just like with colleagues only, it's taken to the next level with romantic relationship, who don't talk about the racial dynamic and the complication that that brings uh, into the relationship oftentimes then end up having problems when something happens where that is made an issue and so I just think you have to have very clear communication very open communication but do I think that's possible Yes, but I can understand, you know, why you might not feel that that's a risk worth taking and why other folks might feel that way. I'm just going to say it's complicated, just like I think all male-female relationships, frankly, in a system okay. of a Wait a Hold, Wait a yeah. Hold on a second. Now, that's where words are very important. Um, I want to point out I did not say romantic relationships. I said sexual relationships. Uh, my view as a victim of white supremacy uh, it has been my observation: discussions of racism, white supremacy, are frequently minimized, and the dynamics of non-white people's mistreatment is frequently minimized when the conversation gets moved to, "Well, this happens in sexism. All relationships are complicated." What I'm saying, what I have observed consistently, is that there is a particular dynamic
3: and an adverse effect non-white people in sexual relationships with
4: white people in the system of white supremacy that is far and beyond what I would consider complicated in a regular sexual relationship between a white person and another white person, non-white person, and another non-white person. That non-white person I have seen without fail is always mistreated in sexual relationships with white people In the system, according to your own testimony, this would be a victim of white supremacy, a non-white person in a sexual relationship with a white person who is participating in the system of racism, white supremacy. In a sexual relationship with someone, this non-white person should be suspicious of that this white person most likely is practicing racism, white supremacy. How can that? I'm just that is incorrect. I feel that is the the most accurate term to describe that dynamic as long as the system of white supremacy exists. Dr. Moore even said his sexual partner admitted racist sees him as a nigger. That well, is I, beyond typical the, the reason, complications. Yeah, the reason I used the term romantic was not in an attempt to minimize the sexual aspect. It was because, as I recall from the interview with Dr. Moore he actually objected to the term sexual and called, you know, this this woman his girlfriend and talked about it as a romantic relationship. But, uh, so I was just trying to honor the way that he described his own relationship because I don't know the depths of his relationship and I don't know what is and is not involved. But what I'm trying to suggest is that the complication which is inherent to the power dynamic is a serious one. But I'll, all I'm trying to say about the notion of incorrectness seems to me that incorrectness can either be uh, based on some scientific evidence or some moral claim. And it's not a term that I'm going to use in this situation only because... I do not think it can be demonstrated. Now, I think there's a skepticism that should be there, and it's perfectly understandable for it to be. But I don't think it can be demonstrated that it is impossible for a couple in that situation to work through that dynamic in their relationship and to talk openly and honestly about it. I don't know, because I've never been in such a relationship, so I can't claim it from firsthand knowledge. But I will say that Anecdotal, even if there are lots of examples, and I'm sure you can think of plenty. I can think of plenty, and you can think of probably many more than I can. I do not think I can take from that the idea that the social dynamic is always and forever wrong. But I'm not in a position to say, and I certainly would never encourage, I don't encourage or discourage those relationships. What I encourage uh, is is open and honest discussion about the way that racism and white supremacy can distort and destroy relationship, whether it is sexual, whether it is simply uh, friendship, or whether it's a professional relationship. So we don't disagree on that underlying problem. I guess I, just, I wouldn't take it to that place that, that you're taking it, but that doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong. It's just, it's just a slightly different you know, take on the same subject. Have non-white people demonstrated the ability to replace the system of racism, white supremacy, with justice? and engage in sexual relationships with white people? Well, it doesn't seem to me from looking at the evidence that non-white folks or white folks have been able to replace the system of white supremacy with justice, whether or not they're involved in sexual relationships. Uh, My guess would be that if there were no more uh, sexual relationships between white folks and people of color or non-white folks, I doubt that that would independently have any effect on the ability of to replace the system with justice, uh, there are so many the things get oh. in place. I think it is didn't an answer. Answer the question. Though. No, no, I answered the question though. I think um, I, I did. I, well, I would like a, a yes or no for this question, sir. If have non-white people and or white people demonstrated the ability to replace the system of racism, white supremacy with justice, while engaging in sexual intercourse between non-white people and white people well the answer is no but okay. that doesn't that doesn't mean that the key to replacing that system with justice is the end of those relationships that would be sort of like saying Uh, is is there any evidence that people of color can replace the system of white supremacy with justice so long as they continue to live in a system of capitalist economic relations? I mean, the answer to that would be no, because we haven't ever been under a system in this country of anything but that. But that doesn't mean that if you simply got rid of capitalism that white supremacy would fall. I mean, so the answer is no. I just don't know that it leads us anywhere. I I agree totally. I'll even even one-up you because – The evidence shows non-white people and white people have not been able to breathe and replace the system of white supremacy with justice. Does that mean we should all stop breathing? Certainly not. I would hope that everyone listening to this program will think seriously, how much of an impact do you think sexual relationships between non-white people and white people, how much of a destructive impact do you think that's having on retarding our ability, white people and non-white people, to replace the system of racism, white supremacy, with justice. I'm just leaving that one to hang so people can think about that for themselves and come to their own conclusion based on what they have heard. Um, The next question I wanted to get to was uh, anti-racist, because that's one of the terms that you use. Um, I reference white people as alleged anti-racist the ones who say that they do anti-racist work because i feel that is most correct would you agree disagree with that i mean i think it's fair to if you want to use that term obviously you know i I just use the term anti-racist but i think it's fine going back to my theory of healthy skepticism that if you are more comfortable saying alleged or if any other person of color is there's certainly nothing wrong with that sure okay okay um could you, could you share with us, um, since you said all white people directly and or indirectly participate in the system of racism, white supremacy, could you share with us what an anti-racist white person does right. that differentiates them from just regular old white person who's participating in the system of racism, white supremacy? Well, I think maybe the difference would be that someone who is truly genuinely engaged in anti-racism activity of some sort would be someone who, in spite of having internalized some of those racist and white supremacist teachings and thoughts uh, that come just from from living as a white person in that system, and in spite of the fact that receiving privileges every day in that system implicates that white person to some extent in the system, that that person who's an anti-racist is also taking some type of constructive action to challenge not only their own thinking when those things are part of them, but also that system. And that may mean uh, writing and speaking or politically organizing, community organizing to undo aspects of that system of oppression or to undo that system of oppression itself. That doesn't mean that that person will be off the hook for their contribution or their mistakes or their errors in judgment as they do it. But it means that you can be anti-something even if that thing you are anti-against, uh, if you will, is still part of you. And so you, you, make a, you can make a conscious choice to challenge the conditioning, a conscious choice to challenge the system you're implicated in. And I think your typical white person who doesn't even claim to be an anti-racist is in all likelihood not making any kind of conscious choice to do that. There's just a passive acceptance of things as they are. Okay. Um, do you think it is possible for a white person to do all of those things that you just mentioned, um, reevaluating, rethinking how they should function, how they should think as a white person in this system, uh, lecturing, writing books, talking about the system of racism, white supremacy, organizing? Is it possible for a white person to do all of those things and still practice, consciously practice racism, white supremacy? You know, the conscious aspect is, I guess so, uh, because you could still be consciously contributing in other ways, even as you are consciously trying to fight that system. I mean, that's, I'm not an expert enough in human psychology to know how to separate the conscious from the subconscious. I would say this. I think more often the person who chooses anti-racism as a path and has consciously made a commitment to challenging or to countering racism is more likely I would assume based on my own experience, to be engaged in the system or contributing to the system much more subconsciously and indirectly without cognition, without deliberate uh, effect or intent. That doesn't make it any better, in my opinion. It certainly doesn't get that person, myself included, off the hook. But I think that most people would not consciously choose anti-racism and still consciously perpetuate. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I'm saying it's probably more often than not for that person. Um, both an issue of subconscious motivation and an issue of simply there's nowhere to go where you're not implicated. I mean, if I have a mortgage under white supremacy, if if I have any income under white supremacy, if I'm able to be stopped by an officer and not treated the way I would be as a person of color, then even though I don't necessarily want to be treated better, even though I don't necessarily ask to be treated better on a daily basis. I will still in all likelihood be treated better, and to me, that implicates me, whether or not I wanted it. You know, I'm still in it. Okay. But you did say, yes, it it would be possible for a white person to write books, give lectures, organize, uh, and say that they're doing anti-racist work and all the while still consciously practice. White supremacy. You did say you think. I think it's possible. possible. Again, I'm not. Yeah, I suppose. I'm not. I'm not real comfortable with that answer. Only because, again, I don't know enough how to tease out the conscious from the unconscious or the subconscious. But, but I I guess it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Just in your view, why are white people practicing white supremacy? Probably different motivations for different white folks. For some. I think the motivation is as simple as material interest. Um, you know, If white folks profit relative to people of color from a system of white supremacy, which of course we do in, in jobs and schools and every, you know, every area of life, then there's a material basis for wanting that system to uh, continue. For some, I think it's a psychological motivation, which is to say if I actually have to deal with the fact that there's a system of injustice that I'm implicated in, it is very difficult for a decent human being who's not, let's say, a sociopath, to come to that recognition that they contribute to other people's suffering because that creates all kinds of you know, feelings of disconnect between what you say you're about and what you're really about. For some people, it engenders guilt, and, and so I think there's a psychological need that a lot of us have in the white community to deny the system of white supremacy and our role in it, because it helps us maintain a fiction that we are "quote unquote" good people. You know, most people I think are good people, but good people can do bad things and can contribute to bad things. So I'm thinking the two biggest uh, reasons for participation, direct or indirect, would be material perceived material interest and perceived psychological interest. There might be others, but to me, those are the two big ones. Okay. Uh, Does the evidence suggest that white people are going to stop practicing racism white supremacy? You know, I'm agnostic on that, meaning I just don't know. I mean, I haven't seen the evidence that says that white folks are prepared en masse to stop practicing or contributing to or benefiting even passively from racism and white supremacy, what I do know is that every system of injustice that we've seen in the history of the world, including the system of racism and white supremacy, uh, was constructed. If that system was constructed, then it can be deconstructed. Now, how we do that is, is – that's the, that's the riddle that we have to solve, and I'm not sure that – I certainly don't know all the answers to that. I'm not even sure that I know any of them, but I'm trying to figure them out uh, as I go along doing the work. But, you know, I would say – At this point, I don't see any evidence that en masse white folks are prepared to stop that system or to challenge that system, but that doesn't mean – I mean, some are. I'm saying en masse I don't see that tendency yet, no. Okay. Um, Oh, wow. Well, uh, the next – I don't know. This might be a moot question at this point then. Uh, How long do you think it will take uh, white people to stop practicing the system of racism, white supremacy? That's a, that's a good question. I don't know. I know that um, the movement of white folks from a stance of systemic acceptance of the way things are to rejection of the way things are is definitely slow for those material and psychological reasons I mentioned before. Now, the good news is that people of color don't necessarily have to wait around for white folks to figure out <laughs> that we're going to stop a system of white supremacy. I mean, folks of color can take certain steps, some of them self-defensive steps, some of them uh, much more deliberate and proactive steps to both protect themselves from that system and to create subsystems within their communities, within businesses, within schools, that promote justice to a greater extent than they promote white supremacy. So there are some things folks of color can do. In other words, even before white folks get our stuff together so to speak but as far as how long it will take for for white folks to get on board as allies and to really challenge that system and stop practicing um racism and white supremacy i i have absolutely no 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 way to know and no knowledge on that right now i understand um how much time do you spend talking exclusively to white people about in your uh in your alleged anti-racist work um Well, probably a third would be sort of exclusively in the sense that the group to which I'm speaking is really all white folks. Now, even the other 70% or say 67%, whatever, two-thirds, the other two-thirds of the time is still mostly white in the sense that most of the institutions that bring me in to talk or assign my writings and classes are mostly white. They are historically white colleges and universities. They are uh, predominantly white uh, corporations or you know, government agencies or whatever. So, um, but as far as exclusive, where pretty much everyone in the room is white, um, that may be more like a third of the time, and, and the other two-thirds, it's predominantly white. Um, I guess, do in terms of demographics, do you have a target audience? Um, to who you're looking for in terms of folks to listen to your lectures or purchase your books or to read your blog? Do you have a target audience in terms of white people or non-white people? Well, obviously, I mean, I want anyone, white or a person of color, who uh, is interested in the issues to, if they want to read my stuff, to by all means do it. But I will say that traditionally I have viewed my quote-unquote audience for those things in the way, again, going back to what, Nick and 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 malcolm and other folks of color said white folks needed to be doing uh, I've viewed that audience as mostly white um, for a couple of reasons one is I think I have the potential to have the greatest impact there in the sense that unfortunately because of white supremacy as, as we talked about earlier white folks are not as likely to hear an anti-racist anti-white supremacist message from a person of color as they will from another white person. They may not take it from me either, but they're more likely to hear it initially. So I have viewed that strategically um, in the course of my work, taking that cue from folks of color in the movement, in the work historically. Um, And I guess maybe to some extent my audience has broadened. I used to think of my audience pretty much only as white folks. And since then I, I realized that wasn't helpful in the sense that you know, As a white person, I do have some inside knowledge about how the system operates, the way the old boys' networks operate, that kind of thing, which is knowledge that needs to be shared with folks of color. And if all I did was talk about that with other white folks, those folks of color wouldn't get some of that you know, sort of inside knowledge. So I see now that audience is broader, but it's still mostly white. Okay. So I just want to be correct. You said originally – you felt that you were focusing exclusively on white people, but have since uh, broadened your scope to include non-white people to share information you think would be constructive. But you still, um, you said you still feel like you're mostly focused on white people. Is that correct? Yeah, mostly on challenging white folks' assumptions about about racism and, and, and white supremacy. Right.
3: Right. Okay. Um, very interesting. Uh, to what extent is your success, uh,
4: your ability to make a profit, uh, to what extent is this contingent on non-white people appreciating, respecting, promoting, praising your work? Uh, I would say, and I, and you know, it's hard to quantify uh, statistically, but I would say that it is not mostly about that. And the only reason I say that is because the overwhelming majority of the institutions or places or individuals who bring me in and therefore are responsible for me being paid for a speech or who buy my books or whatever else and are therefore responsible for me getting paid for a book sale uh, are not people of color. They are mostly white. And, and my guess is that uh, the extent to which folks of color support my work, though it definitely contributes, no question, to my perceived legitimacy, to my perceived validity. Uh, You know, if I had to quantify, I don't even know how I could. I I think most of my success, although it's definitely related to being white saying these things, it's definitely related to being a man and saying these things, I'm not sure to what extent um, support from or praise from people of color is is implicated. I mean, I know it's implicated in there somewhere. I just don't know how to quantify it, honestly. Do you think? uh, Do you think your work would?
3: uh, Oh, lost my seat here. Okay. Uh, Do you think, uh, or what type of impact do you think
4: it would have if a significant number of non-white people uh, were suspicious Uh, and, as you said, were wondering what the hell is that guy Tim Wise up to? What type of impact do you think that would have? Uh, on the work that you do and how people, are, how people receive what you have to say if a significant portion of non-white people were suspicious of you as a white person? I'm not sure. What I think could happen, it could go one of two ways, right? One is if there was a significant suspicion of whether I was genuine or not, uh, it could lead some of those institutions that currently might bring me in for a speech to say, hmm, I don't know, maybe we should bring someone else. Or on the other hand, it could lead them to believe just based on you know, having worked with folks before, there are a lot of institutions who would look at skepticism from folks of color as actually a plus because it would make them believe that if they brought me in that I wouldn't be, you know, just there for the folks of color. In other words, it would almost be, if you ever heard someone say that uh, thing that sometimes people say when they don't want to take a stand on something, and they say, you know, I get attacked from both sides, so I guess I'm right where I need to be. Now, that's not my position, but but that is the way a lot of people think. And I think some of those institutions would actually like me more, unfortunately, if they thought that folks of color were skeptical, because then they could say, well, you know, he's not beholden to Folks of color, because I get that a lot. You know, I get folks in, in white institutions who seem to think that I'm just there to bash white folks and make people of color happy. And they'll even ask me questions like, "Why are you doing this for them? Why do you know?" Which is not what I feel I'm doing. It's not my motivation. But I'm almost afraid that that those institutions would give me more, uh, uh, at least some of them, would give me more attention and would pump me up even more as a legitimate spokesperson the more people of color criticize me. I don't know that that's true, but based on my interactions with institutions, I know there are a lot of them that get nervous about the support I get from people of color because it's almost as if that makes me illegitimate as a commentator. Not that it should, but I think some folks do think that way.
3: Hmm. That's interesting.
4: Hmm. Um, how do you uh, gauge – your effectiveness uh, in the work that you do to combat racism, white supremacy? A couple ways. Uh, One of the things I try to do with the places where I speak, for example, is to make sure that when I go into a place, uh, that hopefully I'm not only going to be going in doing a one-off speech, leaving town, and having no interaction with them, but make sure that there is some ongoing interaction, uh, that I do some follow-up with those institutions, that I try to, to make sure that they are bringing in other fruits, that they're talking about these subjects beyond just what I said. Um, and one of the ways, therefore, that I gauge success is to what extent do I plant those seeds, and then to what extent do those seeds bear some fruit down the line? Now, obviously, I can't say that the way I gauge it is, you know, I went to school X, and three years later... There was no more racism at school X because that's not going to happen in that in that time frame. But if I go into a place and I see that the next year all of a sudden there are folks engaged on this subject challenging the institutional practices of their college, for example, in ways that they weren't before I went in there, then to me that's one aspect of success or progress or movement forward. So I just try to look and see what's happening at that place six months later, what's happening a year later, what's happening Five years later, and sometimes you see movement and sometimes you don't. Um, and, and I've seen in some places quite a bit. Other times you get some progress and then, you know, backsliding, and that's the way it goes, but that's what I look for. Do you think it would evidence uh, effectiveness if you spoke and there were non-white people present, and those non-white people, after having heard you speak uh, or read your work, uh, began being suspicious of every white person, with that evidence that you have been effective? I think that would be good, sure. I think that would be one way to look at it. If that healthy skepticism is developed, uh, then, yeah, I think that would be from that, from that whole perspective of a self-defense mechanism or a self-defense practice that a person of color can take even before that system changes, that would be a good one, sure. Have you seen that from non-white people that you've talked to that after having heard you speak or read your work, that they now are suspicious of every white person, no exceptions? Well, I'd have to ask if they're suspicious of every white person, so I don't know, but here's what I would say. I can tell you that in the, let's say, 15 years that I've been traveling around the country talking about these subjects, um, that there has come to be, at the very beginning, there was almost, it seemed to me, almost no skepticism. It was almost as if having a white person say this particularly because I was about 26, 27 at that time, was just so viewed as so refreshing and important that I got a pass early on from just about everyone. And I would always challenge that pass, but I got it nonetheless. What has happened in the last three, four, five years that I'm actually grateful for, because I think it's a way to maintain honesty on my part and integrity and accountability, is that that skepticism has gotten, I think, deeper in the sense that I'm more likely now than would have been true five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, to have folks of color writing me very challenging emails, which is fine, posting very challenging comments on message boards, which is great, challenging my material when it's taught in colleges, which is great. A year and a half ago, I went and spoke, I think it was maybe two years ago, went out to Oregon State University, and there was some controversy before I got there. Folks of color who were challenging whether or not the school should bring me or any other white person claiming to be an anti-racist in to give that speech. To me, and I said it at the time, that was healthy, and I'm glad that that happened. Um, That didn't happen, though, i got to tell you, 8, 9, 10, 15 years ago. So all I can say then in answering your question is as I've done this more, as I've gotten, frankly, more prominent, more of that questioning is happening than was happening early on where there was almost none of it. And so to me, that's healthy. To me, that, that's, a, that's a good sign. Okay. Uh, I just, again, wanted to reiterate just the contact that I have had with non-white people who have uh, been to your lectures and have read your work, are familiar with your material. Uh, I do not see uh, that skepticism. I do not see a suspicion of you. And it ends up transferring to other white people uh, mm-hmm. that they just are not suspicious and really are, are not receptive to other non-white people who are suspicious of you and encourage non-white people to be suspicious of white people. So I again want to reiterate that I have not seen that. I'm not saying it's not present. I just have not seen that with the non-white people that I know who are familiar with your work and have continued myself to be uh, attacked for saying you should be suspicious of Mr. Tim Wise and all white people under the system of white supremacy. Um, But like I said, I just haven't. I, it might be there, and I just haven't seen it. That could be the case. Right. Um, would you say it is accurate uh, to say that the system of racism, white supremacy, is terrorism against non-white people? Is terrorism? Yes, is that the word. Yeah, yeah. I think that the system is is a form of terrorism. Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, I've read uh, Mein Kampf, uh, Mr. Adolf Hitler's work. Um, he said that Jews are not white. Um, I just want to make sure, or I don't know if you've read his work or not, but yes, um, yes. to your knowledge, is that correct, that uh, Mr. Adolf Hitler said uh, so-called Jewish people, they are not white uh, during uh, the whole fiasco? Okay. Um, would you say uh, what happened to the Jews in Nazi Germany was an example or expression of, quote, unquote, whiteness? Uh, sure, it was an expression of, of- White supremacy under the philosophical, you know, system of Hitlerism, which is not always the same as every. I mean, the systems of white supremacy or the system has manifested in different ways, but that was one way, and that was a manifestation of white supremacy. Sure. Okay, um, I, I want to be uh, very precise here. I didn't say white supremacy. I said of oh, whiteness. 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 Would you I, say? I, yeah, I guess that would be to me. I mean, whiteness as long as there's a system of white supremacy those become somewhat synonymous for me so it's an expression of whiteness as i understand it which is the racialization of one group as non-white the racialization of other group as white and then what flows from that being oppression so yeah it's an expression it is one way to express and to institutionalize whiteness yes okay okay uh, and you i want to be correct you you did say that you use the terms whiteness and white supremacy as synonyms? I mean, they're not exactly synonyms, but whiteness is the construct or the category that under a system of white supremacy is the dominant category. So when Hitler exterminates uh, folks who are Jews or folks who are Romani or what some call gypsies who were also seen as non-white, for example, um, or Slavs, who were seen as as non-white Slavic people, that he is expressing in his regime was expressing their understanding, their construction, their paradigm, if you will, of whiteness under a system of white supremacy. They decided who is in whiteness and who isn't, and then proceeded to kill and oppress on that basis. So, I mean, there, I guess that's sort of synonymous or, or similar in meaning. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, One of the criticisms that I have of many white people, uh, I've heard you use the term whiteness as well, I do not think that is the most accurate term uh, to use in discussing racism, white supremacy, and the oppression, terrorism that non-white people face. Uh, It's been my experience that, again, that minimizes what we're talking about. I I don't know about you, but I have never heard anyone reference what happened to the Jews in Nazi Germany as an expression of whiteness. I have never heard that. I have heard Holocaust. I have heard uh, unspeakable acts of inhumanity and degradation. I I mean, I hear the most vile terms to convey the incredible tragedy that happened to so-called Jews in Nazi Germany. I've never heard a term that I feel is very vague in saying what happened to the Jews in Germany was an example of whiteness. Yes. I, would, I would suggest uh, and, and strongly suggest that term be discontinued. I really think it serves the system of white supremacy by presenting what is happening, which is terrorism against non-white people, systematic terrorism against non-white people, uh, making it sound very vague, uh, and it also removes, suspicion of white people because the way I've heard the term used, white people talk about whiteness as though it's something in the atmosphere, uh, it's this nebulous thing out there that's, you know, making white people do certain things. It never gets talked about in terms of there are things white people say and do that make this system run. That's the way they talk about what happened in Nazi Germany, and I think that would be very constructive if we talked about the system of racism, white supremacy in the exact same terms. Uh, I think that's and, a great point, yeah. Okay. I mean,
3: Wait, can I
4: request that then, that you will, will discontinue uh, use of the word whiteness? I, I would be happy to do that. The only thing I, – when I use the term, and I try not to, although if I've done it, please let me know. I try not to use that term when I'm describing the system. The system to me is always white supremacy slash racism. I may use those words interchangeably. When I use the term whiteness, I'm almost always using – I think always using it. I try only to use it as a description of that category that one either was able to qualify for or unable to qualify for under a system of white supremacy. In other words, did the Jews, did the Italians, did the Irish in the United States, did they qualify for whiteness, almost like whiteness is a club, if you will. Uh, but I never, I, at least I hope I don't. And if I do, I will I will check that behavior, uh, not only at your request, but because I realize the fundamental truth of what you just suggested, which is that at the systemic level, to call the system whiteness, like, for example, whiteness studies, which is an academic, you know, that I'm sure you're well aware of, an academic field that I have criticized actually openly for reasons very similar to what you just said. I try not to use whiteness in place of white supremacy. It is to me, that's why it's really not synonymous, and, I, and, and that was an error in, in expression that I made. Whiteness is the category that one either qualifies or doesn't qualify for under white supremacy, but I will certainly strive not to use it as a substitute or as a synonym because you're absolutely right. Your comment was right on point, and it's not the same. Well, I appreciate that. I, again, I hope everybody listening encourage folks. Not to use that term, words are very important when discussing racism, white supremacy. I don't think that's the most accurate term, and it seems Mr. Wise concurs, so yes. right on, a little progress. Um, would you say, Mr.
3: Wise, uh, white people are victims of racism,
4: white supremacy? I, I don't use that term. I prefer to use the phrase that white folks are damaged by a system. seems to me a victim is the one who is the target, and since white folks – are not the targets of the system, I'm reluctant to use that phrase because I think it makes equivalent or tries to equivalize and make the same what happens to white folks that may be damaging under that system and what clearly happens to folks of color under that system. So I prefer to write about and to speak about the ways that white folks, in spite of the privilege that comes from it, are damaged or harmed or uh, I, sometimes I use the term collateral damage, you know, which is a term we use very imprecisely and I think grotesquely when we refer to dead Iraqi children, for example, or dead Afghan children as uh, collateral damage. But in this case, the term applies in the sense that white folks can be harmed by a system even though we are certainly not the ones intended to be harmed, even though we're not the targets, even though you know the targets are folks of color, there can be indirectly uh, some consequences that are negative for us. So I don't use the term victim. I just use the phrase damaged or harmed. Oh, okay. I, I agree completely because I've heard uh, I've heard some white people and I've heard a lot of non-white people say that white people are also victims of white supremacy and I, I think that is incorrect uh, for the same reasons that you just stated. So we're in agreement there. Um, do you think it would be constructive for non-whites to read your work? And if so, how, uh, why, excuse me? Well, I mean, it, you know, it's hard to know what's going to help any other person that reads it. I will tell you that The feedback I have gotten from folks of color who have read the work um, has generally suggested to me that it has been helpful, but then again, now, who knows? I mean, some of those folks have written to express, for example, some of that healthy skepticism that I said is a good sign to challenge me on particular things, let's say, in an article or in one of my books. So I think in that sense, if by reading my work, some of those folks who've read it who are of color, then maybe gain some insight into the way the white the system of white supremacy works which maybe i can offer in 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 my writing and in my in my uh, in my speeches but still have that skepticism and say well i want to push back on you about this or i want to push back on you about that then to me that that those folks have clearly gotten something out of it that maybe they wouldn't have had had they not read it but i think every person who reads my work or 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 bob jensen's or peggy mcintosh or paul kibble or any of these folks um, will have to determine for themselves whether it's helpful. I would say it's not as helpful you know, I'm guessing as if those folks were to read you know some of the key seminal works that have been written by folks of color on this subject, which to me I think are probably more critical than for them to read what I say, especially if they're not going to have the healthy skepticism that needs to come with it but but you know it could be helpful if for no other reason than just to give some insight into how white folks who claim to be allies and are trying to be allies do and don't operate, you know, can provide possibly some insight into that. I wanted to to clarify that point. You said you thought for non-white people who are not going to go pick up the works of non-white people and what their thoughts are on the system of racism, white supremacy, and if they're not suspicious of white people, then it might not be constructive. It could even be harmful. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it would be far less helpful, let's just put it that way, and I think if certainly if a person of color was only going to read or rely upon my words or the words of other white folks or overwhelmingly do so, that that would probably not be helpful and that might even be harmful. Um, to read my work as just one among many where most of the others are scholars of, of color I think could be helpful as a supplementary piece of information. Uh, but certainly, it's no substitute for the works of scholars of color. I wouldn't think, and that's true for white for white readers too. I don't want white readers to only read my work. They need to be reading the works of scholars of color as well. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, I want to clarify here. Make sure I'm uh, being accurate. Um, you said that you do your work in terms of when you go out and you do lectures and things. Um, you make an effort to open the door for non- non-white people to Follow behind and share their views on the system of racism, white supremacy. I just want to make sure that I'm correct. That you know, you did say that, correct? What I what I try and do, uh, just to be more precise, and I might have been uh, not not precise enough before, is to make sure that those folks who bring me in for a presentation, mm-hmm. whether it's a school, government agency, nonprofit group, whatever the case might be, that they are also uh, committed to holding events to bringing in speakers and to teaching the words and the writings of other folks who are not white, who are folks of color, uh, and that they are following up whatever I'm doing with work like that. And, that you know, it's not enough, in other words, to bring me, and then you bring Peggy McIntosh, and then you bring Bob Jensen, and meanwhile, the folks of color who do this work and do it uh, far better in so many cases than, 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 than we who are white do it, get to stay on the sidelines. So that what I do to help facilitate that is not only bring to those schools attention who some of those folks are, where they can find their work, where they can get in touch with them to bring them in for events. I certainly do that. Uh, but I also follow up with them afterward to find out if they have made any progress in that direction, have they made moves in that direction. If not, what can I do to help facilitate that they do that? So, so it's not necessarily that you know, right there on the spot at every speech, that I then say, okay, now the next 30 minutes we're going to have you know, anybody in the room who wants to speak will speak, because they brought me in for a very precise reason. But I make sure, uh, I try to make sure to the greatest extent that I can, that those institutions do follow up continued ongoing work. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times, institution building work with people of color, that's what I mean by opening up space. Um, it's oftentimes after I've left, but it's an ongoing type thing. Right. Okay. Um, when you when you recommend or, or suggest different non-white people uh, to come in and, and speak to further the work of countering racism, white supremacy, um, do you recommend uh, Mr. Nibi Fuller, Jr., or Dr. Marumba Ani, or Dr. Francis Cresswell, do you ever recommend those people be invited to come and speak after you've given your presentation? Yes, I, I have specifically uh, recommended on many occasions Dr. Ani, who's... Uh, Urugu, I think, is, is among the best that I've ever read on understanding uh, uh, the system of white supremacy or European cultural thought and behavior, so I've recommended not only the book be taught, but that institutions uh, follow up with Dr. Rani. I have also, on many occasions, quoted uh, with specificity and reference Dr. Fuller and have recommended that folks bring him in. Um, Now, the only issue uh, that – and there are others as well, Malafia Sante, who's a friend of mine and -hmm. and with whom I have a a good collegial relationship. I've also regularly referenced his book and others. Um, But now, whether or not those institutions do anything that I tell them with regard to whom I refer them to is something over which I have no control. I will say that there are many institutions who I know have done some institution-building long-term relationship building work with organizations like the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond Ron Chisholm uh, for example in in the city of New Orleans a uh, longtime anti-racist scholar and activist who uh, I have uh, steered individuals groups communities toward their work uh, in in addition to Dr. Rodney in addition to to Neely Fuller in addition to Dr. Asante and others um, and some of those schools uh, and they don't always choose the ones that I tell them about obviously but I give them a pretty long list, and it includes those you've mentioned. It also uh, includes others uh, who are uh, occasionally activists, not necessarily professors, others who are professors, not necessarily activists, and others which are organizations like the People's Institute. Um, so I, I give them a long list because I don't want to be engaged in the kind of gatekeeping that would only say, well, here's the three I like, you know, or here's the two or five you know, that I like, I try to give those institutions a pretty broad list so that they can choose and and, and make some decisions based on their needs. But, yes, the the individuals you mentioned are certainly on that list. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, Again, I I like to uh, try to use the most correct words, uh, even though my diction, as you can tell, certainly could use improvement. Um, Dr. Robert Jensen, um, he was on the show earlier in March, uh, suspected racist. Um, he said, and he wrote in his book, Heart of Whiteness. Anybody that's listening, check it out. I thought that was a constructive work. And uh, you said you oh. know Dr. Jensen, correct? Yes, I know, I know Bob well. Yeah, know right um, Dr. Jensen, uh, he wrote in his book, and he said on the show actually that non-white is a more accurate term uh, than people of color in discussions on racism white supremacy, and he elaborates this on his book in great detail, just saying that uh, it makes it much more clear uh, the power dynamics that work in a system of racism, white supremacy, that the non-white people, really white is the issue, white is the power source, as he writes in his book, page 92, the problem is white people, so you want to use terms that reflect that and keep the focus on White people. Um, do you feel that non white is a more accurate term than people of color? Well, it certainly is a term that better captures the power dynamic. Uh, I will occasionally use the term non white. I will also sometimes say black and brown folk, and sometimes I will say people of color. And I don't disagree with, with Bob's analysis or with yours necessarily there. Um, the reason that I often do not use the term non white. And it may or may not be a good reason, but the reason is that I try and I think it's important for us whenever possible to choose language that does not simply reflect the way that things are but the way that we would like them to be because sometimes words and word choice and the kinds of terminology we use can affect mindset. The example would be – I don't like to use the term minority, for example, because people of color or white peoples are not the minority obviously on this planet. Uh, and so using the term "minority," even though in the power sense, it's definitely true that non-white peoples, peoples of color have been minoritized as an active term, which uh, I, I heard recently, and I like that term a lot because it implies an active system of oppression. The um, reason I don't think we should use minority, even though you know one could argue that it captures some type of power dynamic, is that we're trying to use language which is more self-determining. And so to the extent that people of color is a phrase that was, to my knowledge, in my experience, not one foisted upon those persons by white folks, but one that was instead chosen by uh, those individuals who are minoritized in a system of white supremacy, I try to use the term as a way to honor that sort of self-determination. On the other hand, if those folks called people of color non-whites who are minoritized in the system – were to prefer non-white then that would be the one that i think for the same reason of self-determination we ought to try to use so you know i a lot of times i use these terms interchangeably it's the same way about black african-american africans in america people of african descent i try to use them interchangeably as a way to honor and respect the different opinions that folks in those categories have but i think bob's point is is a good one i just know that when white folks here non-white and I, I don't think Bob would disagree with this though he would still come down I'm sure on the side he does when white folks hear non-white the effect it has in my experience is that what white folks hear reinforced is the notion that white is not just normal in the sense of the power dynamic but that white is normal in the sense of what is and is not a human being and that to be anything other than that is to somehow be less than human not just in the power system that we have which is clearly, it is true there, that some folks are considered less human in that system, but that it actually becomes in their mind a almost like a scientific truth that white is the norm for humanity and that people of color or non-white peoples, if we call them that, are somehow less than human, when if anything, non-white or peoples of color are the norm for the species, and it's white folks who are actually uh, not the norm. So, So I just get worried about the way that white folks take that term. Um, and that may or may not be a valid concern, but it's something that in my experience I've seen and it, and it, and it does concern me. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, actually, I wanted, when you were here in Seattle, you shared information about how racism, white supremacy has many of the same biological effects uh, as heart disease and other traumas uh, that a person would face if they had some sort of uh, Disability or a disease right. of some sort. Could you share that information? Where you where you got that from? If it's in a book or an article or something, so we could check that out. Sure. There was an article in the American Journal, excuse me, the American Journal of Public Health, back in uh, 19 I want to say 1996, and I, and I have the footnote somewhere, and I'll dig it up and email it to you. But uh, this article in the American Journal of Public Health was one of many that have come out in the last 10 to 15 years that examined um, the extent to which racism has particular health consequences for, uh, for peoples of color, non-white peoples, particularly this study looked at, at black folk. And what it found was that individuals who have experienced, who, who, who say that they have experienced um, racial discrimination, racism, white supremacist, mistreatment, et cetera, have elevated uh, blood pressure and rates of hypertension, for example, which are equal to the effects on blood pressure and hypertension of having a bad diet, smoking, uh, not getting enough exercise, all of which we know and recognize contribute to high blood pressure and hypertension. And what that study found was that even after you control for Diet, exercise, whether people smoke or not, and you only compare those who don't even do any of those. They don't do any of the bad things, and they do all the right things. They eat good food. They don't smoke. They exercise regularly. If they are black and have experiences with racial discrimination that were serious enough for them to remember them quite prominently in the research, that the effect on their blood pressure, hypertension levels, stress levels, was equal to that of those other contributory health factors. So that's one study. There have been probably 10, 15, 20 of those kinds of studies in the last few years uh, that have come out. Wow. I have a couple more I want to get some callers on as well. Um, Let me give them the number again in a second. Um, I wanted to ask your your view. um, If a non-white person is engaged in a discussion, a constructive discussion on racism, white supremacy with a white person, and the white person has given permission and the white person is saying that they want to have this dialogue, uh, but there are other non-white people present who are not comfortable, they're maybe not as informed about racism, white supremacy, and uh, these types of conversations make them uncomfortable. Do you think that the non-white person uh, should be coerced into discontinuing that discussion for the benefit of the non-white person who is uncomfortable hearing this information exchanged? No. I I would hope that 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 non-white person or person of color engaged in that conversation with that white person would continue to engage the conversation if they felt personally, since they're the ones in the conversation, if they felt it was productive, if they felt it was constructive, and if they felt it was healthy. Now, you know, obviously, if, if the individual in that conversation feels that on balance for them to continue is going to cause so much problem For other folks of color that it's unhealthy, they would then need to make that determination, but I would hope that uh, discomfort, whether it's folks of color discomfort or white folk discomfort, would never be the basis in and of itself for disengaging the discussion Um, because clearly, and, and this too is pointed to by some research, that having the conversation even when it is uncomfortable, even when it is stressful, actually has a cathartic positive, on balance, good consequence and outcome because it allows people to better understand one another and clarify where the other person is coming from. So I would hope that the discomfort would not shut things down, whether that is, you know, folks of color expressing that or whether that's white folks. Okay. Um, of recently, I have been chatting with lots of different non-white people, victims of white supremacy. Um, so-called black people, so-called Asian people, whole spectrum. Yeah. Um, we have kind of had a consensus after a lot of discussion that we believe it is correct uh, that, or we believe that in the system of white supremacy it is true, that darker people, the darker your skin complexion, black people, are subjected to far greater abuse uh, in the system of racism, white supremacy. And we felt the evidence shows that to, to a the point right. where, We felt it would be constructive to state that because the evidence bears that out. Do you feel that the evidence suggests that strongly and that it would be constructive to point that out, that the darker the people are, they tend to be subjected to even worse mistreatment in the system of racism, white supremacy? Yes, I think that's true, and it's not just that I think it's true. There actually was a study that came out of Vanderbilt University, I believe, uh, a year and a half ago, and it's right here in my hometown, of Nashville that looked at this issue of the effect of skin color difference on earnings for example and using a 10 shade template so it had you know 10 different shades of blackness so to speak uh, what they looked at and they were looking at immigrants in particular but still that that's an important study and what they found was that for people who are immigrants to the United States from Africa, for example, or even, I guess it wasn't just a study of blackness, but certainly a study of, of color and, and shading, found that for every uh, additional gradient of darkness, for every additional level of darkness, there was a quantifiable impact on reduced wages. And, and, I, and I'm struggling now to remember the precise number, but I think that it was, you know, from the lightest to the darkest had an effect of almost 20%. On earnings, so that the darkest uh, immigrant, let's say of color, even when they have the same education, even when they have the same background qualifications, seniority, experience, everything, uh, when they are alike in every other way, and all you're looking at now is the difference in skin color, that the darkest immigrant would earn approximately 17, 18, 20 percent, right around there, less than the lightest of those immigrants, even though they might be from the very same country, might have the very same English language skills, might have the very same education. If that's true for immigrants of color, I have no doubt that if you did a similar study, and I'm sure there have been some done, I'm just not familiar with them, on black folks who were not immigrants but you know were, were essentially native, if you will, to the United States, born and raised here, that the consequence would be at least as great. Wow, and so in your view, it would be constructive to point that out when having exchange of views on racism, white supremacy, that there, you're saying there's evidence that you can quantify that the darker you are, you will be subjected to more mistreatment, harsher forms of mistreatment in the system of racism, white supremacy. I think it's, I think it's constructive, and the, on, the only way that it might be not as constructive is if, is if that fact is used to diminish the very real racism to which even light-skinned folks of color are still sure. subjected in a system of white supremacy. But, but as long as it's not taken there, so as long as it's not about you know, denying the very real suffering of, let's say, a lighter-skinned uh, non-white person or person of color, then I think it's supremely instructive because it's one way to get at how colorism within the system of racism and white supremacy has been used to divide darker from lighter. And the only way you can have that conversation is to talk about the very thing that you've just identified, which is... The way that colorism operates. That's one way to begin to heal the divide between darker and lighter-skinned black and brown folks.
3: Okay, there is a people, uh, has,
4: uh, on white people um, have taken the position that they did not. Even even some who felt that that was true. The information you just shared that it was true, and that the evidence. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, seemed to suggest that the darker you are, the harsher the mistreatment you will face. They felt it would not be constructive to share that because it would promote bickering amongst non-white people, and as you said, would uh, perhaps minimize the abuse that lighter non-white people still face in the system of white supremacy, um, and just not be constructive. But I don't, uh, I don't believe that's true. I feel it needs to be pointed out if it's true. And uh, I would like that information on the study, the Vanderbilt uh, study that yeah, you mentioned. Yeah, I'll, I, can, I can get that footnote and email that to you. Absolutely. Okay. I, for everybody listening, I will uh, share when he gets it to me. I will, uh, I will post that information uh, in the comments section for this show. So if you tune back in once I get the information, I will post it here so everybody you can just come here and check that information out. Uh, I'm going to uh, get the switchboard so that I can pull some calls up. Uh, Right now, if you all give me five seconds. Um, In the meantime, I
3: know your latest book is about President Obama. Is that correct? Uh, I think the
4: book is actually in the chat room here. Could you share the title of your latest work uh, with our listeners? Sure. The, The latest book is Between Barack and a Hard Place, and the subtitle is Racism and White Denial in the Age of Obama. Okay. Could you give us kind of an overview of what you're talking about in that particular book? Sure. There are basically two essays. The first is one that just examines uh, what the election of President Obama says, and more importantly, what it doesn't say about racism and white supremacy in this country. And, of course, what it doesn't say is that racism and white supremacy have been fundamentally reduced, limited, uh, curtailed, or certainly eliminated. And I give, throughout that essay, Examples in every area, uh, uh, you know, economics, education, the job market, wealth and assets, the criminal justice system, health, all these different arenas uh, of, of, of life. Examples, statistical evidence uh, to demonstrate how racism and white supremacy institutionalized are still very much real in spite of the election of President Obama and I actually go further because that's a fairly obvious point. My argument is that in some ways racism and white supremacy within this country and this culture, at least outwardly, have, sh- have shape-shifted the way that a – I use the metaphor of a of a balloon. If you've ever been at one of those children's parties where clowns come and they have those balloons that you can shape into all kinds of different things, but at the end of the day, whether they made it look like a rabbit or a dog or a cat, it was still a balloon. And my argument is that even though racism may have shape-shifted, such that white folks will now go out and they'll vote for a man of color in a way that maybe 25 years ago, 40 years ago, they certainly wouldn't have. That all that is, I use the term racism 2.0, and the way I define that is racism 2.0 is a kind of racism that allows many white Americans who still fundamentally, by their own admission in surveys, hold racist views about black folks, let's say, or about peoples of color more generally, Yet are still willing to go and vote for a man of color who they view as an exception to the larger rule. And you can actually see some evidence of that thinking, that, 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 that split thinking that, well, this guy's okay, but I don't like most of them, quote unquote, in uh, the book. I actually present some evidence to suggest that that was what was going on. My argument being that we need to be careful and not allow the fact that racism may look a little different, may materialize a little differently, may make room for certain people of color, we can't allow ourselves to then think that that's the end of racism, which is the way a lot of commentators have tried to spin his election. And I think it's important to push back on that. And then the last essay of the two is just a particular call for white responsibility. It's essentially me saying, you know, here's what we as white folks have got to do if we're going to step up and challenge racism, particularly of the 2.0 variety. Uh, This is about us taking some personal responsibility. Basically, the whole point of that essay is just to change the dynamic of the personal responsibility discussion, because normally when that phrase is used in this culture, it's used as a weapon against non-white peoples or peoples of color. It's usually white folks saying, you all, meaning black and brown folks, need to take responsibility for your lives, et cetera. And we never put that back on us. You know, If personal responsibility is good for black folk, and look, I think it's good for everybody. I mean, I'm a father, and I feel it's good for my girls. But, but if we're going to say that that's important for black folks to do, then we also have to be prepared to apply that to white folks. And that second essay just explains why and what that looks like. Okay. Um,
3: 951, you are on the air. Go ahead.
1: Oh, uh, 951, you can hear me? Yes, sir. Oh, greetings, Mr. Wise. Hello, hello. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I had a question um, regarding your time here at the Mount Zion Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. Yes. Do you believe that it's correct in the system of racism and white supremacy for all non whites victims of racism to suspect all white people could be practicing racism and white supremacy? Right. Excuse me? Yes, I said right, yes. Okay. Um, I remember from the first time you were on the show, you also had agreed to that, and I had a question regarding what you were doing in front of the congregation of a lot of non-white people at the Mount Zion Baptist Church, and you did not suggest to them that it would be correct in the system of racism, white supremacy, for the non-white people victims of racism to suspect all white people of practicing racism, white supremacy. Is there a reason you did not mention that?
4: Well, I think ultimately, uh, I did end up mentioning it when Either you or someone else asked the question about whether I was an admitted racist slash white supremacist. My answer, and this is usually, frankly, it almost always comes up in the Q and A. And when it doesn't, I will just tell you, in my experience, I usually then bring it up in answer it to some question. But that evening, the question was asked, and it gave me the opportunity to articulate the depth of what I think the answer to that question is, which is that I, like every white person, have internalized aspects of racism and white supremacy, and that everyone, not just non-white folks, but that everyone needs to keep that in mind, that even those of us who are trying to be allies and do the right thing and say the right thing still have that as part of who we are. That, to me, is a way, and it may not be to you as precise a way, and if not, I understand, and I don't disagree, and uh, it might be worth changing the way that I say it, but to me, that answer is one that implies look, this is part of who I am too, and I may be trying to challenge it, but you should never assume that it is gone or that it is not part of me. Um, and that was the way that I conveyed that point, and, and it may not be the the best way in your estimation, and you may be right, but that was what I was trying to do in answering that question.
1: In my position, I'm a non-white person, a black person, a victim of racism. It is not the most effective way to convey that. While I was listening to you, I uh, there were very many times that I was confused by your use of words, a lot of words. I'd say you could simply tell non white people to just just very simply suspect all white people of practicing racism and white supremacy. I believe you saying that as a white person would have a profound effect on non white people being able to counter racism and conduct themselves constructively around white people. Okay. Uh, that's just my uh that's just my, my opinion. What do you think, Gusty Renegade, were you? Were you present when uh, Mr. Wise was at Mount Zion?
4: Uh, I was there, sir. And uh, I uh, spoke with Mr. Wise earlier in the program about non white people having language deficiencies. And I wholeheartedly agree uh, with your point in speaking with non white people in simple, concise, easy to understand uh, ways of conveying information to make it as simple as possible to articulate. Suspicious of every white person, including myself, no passes. I think, and I agree totally with what you just said about him being a white person saying that will have an extraordinary impact. And uh, yeah, I believe this is the time it's been stated on this program. So hopefully that will help uh, certain victims of white supremacy. This being uh, stated in explicit manner.
1: Yes, because I uh, I was present there also, and um, I strongly suspected. You, Mister Wiser, practicing racism, white supremacy, um, okay. just just in the ways in which you spoke and just what you did. White people are awesome.
4: I didn't hear that last part. I'm sorry.
1: I said you're awesome. You're an awesome white person, sir.
4: Oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess I guess thank you. I don't know how to respond to that. I'm not really sure about that. Yeah. Uh, now everyone, well, hang tight. Uh, I have quite a few uh, folks here I want to try and get as many as they can ask a question. Um. 253
3: 253 you are on the air sir hello uh, i'd like to apologize first because I, I missed the program i called in just at the tail end uh, but i had a question for mr wise yes go ahead uh how how should white people um and or suspected racists interact with
4: non-white people
3: black people under a system of white supremacy
4: Well, you know, I think the best way is to operate as honestly as one can. That means that I think it's important for white folks when interacting with uh, non-white folks, folks of color, to not avoid conversations about race or run away from them, which is something that I think we often do. Um, so that it doesn't get brought up. We end up sort of tiptoeing around each other. And I think non-white folks and white folks both do that. But but for white folks, I think uh, we need to be willing to put our stuff out there and to be honest. Uh, obviously, it doesn't mean the first time that a white person you know meets a, a new person of color on the job or Something like that—that that you go up to them and immediately launch into a conversation about race, because that would probably be viewed as very strange and off-putting, and and it probably wouldn't be productive. But I think if you're going to have any substantial, deep uh, relationship, friendship, professional connection with a person of color and you're white, that you have to be prepared to engage that discussion, because to me, that's in the room. You know, that's the elephant in the room that folks don't want to talk about, and in my experience. The person of color in that situation, the non-white person in that situation, is often reluctant uh, to be the one to broach the subject or to bring it up, and there are good reasons for that. I mean, it might be fear of retaliation, fear of being dismissed, fear of being thought of as, as hypersensitive and all of that, because we know sometimes white folks do respond that way. So I think for those of us who are white, we have to be willing to raise these subjects and to, as we say in the South, put our stuff in the street, so to speak, uh, to demonstrate that we're willing to really engage at a deep level. To me, that's a burden that white folks have.
3: Yeah, I have a quick follow-up, if I can. Sure. Um, I guess, so the white people that you know, and maybe including yourself, that invest, uh, how do they invest or yourself outside of your 401K? Oh, all right. Uh,
4: yeah, I don't, you know, I don't have uh, really any... I never had a 401k per se. Um, you know, we, Well, IRA,
3: right, any type of savings or investment.
4: Yeah, I've got a, I don't remember what it's called because my wife handles all our finances. We, I have like a a, a standard, some kind of, it's called the SEF or something like that on the tax form. So it's a, it's, I guess, the equivalent of a 401k for somebody who's self-employed. So it's like a self-employment self-employ, plan, and and there's money in that. I'm not even sure where that is invested. I'm sure some of it, is in stocks, I guess. I, 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 am, I probably shouldn't even acknowledge my own financial incompetence in such a way on the radio, but I, I am not involved really at all in the investment or the financial stuff. My wife handles it. So, um, I, But that's all I know of that I'm invested in. Like We don't have real estate or any active stock holdings like as shareholders that I know of.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you get an opportunity to get more information on that, possibly from your wife or any other white people who do Successfully invest, meaning they turn profit, money that they use. Okay. Uh, yeah, if you can get that, if you can get that information to Gus or anyone else. Uh, well, yeah, particularly Gus, I guess, and he can post it on the comment section or some other place. I think that information could be could uh, be
4: very constructive for non-white people. Oh, okay. I think that's a good point. Sure, sure, absolutely. Russ, uh, two five
3: three. If you could hang tight, we get one more caller on the line here. Uh,
4: 732 on the air. Hello, seven three two you're on oh no, that was my voice. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, seven three, two. seven three two, are you there? You're on the air?
3: Okay, maybe they're just listening. come back later, perhaps. uh five three six three a question or comment. Wow, a lot of noise. Okay, take that away. Two oh six. Did you have a question or comment?
6: Uh, yes, I did. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hi, this uh, is Tim Wise, and uh, Hi Gus T Renegade. This is Dave Myers, uh, discussrace.com. How are you,
3: doing, you this sir. afternoon? Doing well, sir.
6: Good, good. Uh, uh, Mr. Wise, I wanted to ask you, uh, sir. This, this anti-racism conversation that we are having now, which is uh, seemingly uh, throughout the country uh, being taken on in, in kind of a cottage industry fashion, um, I know the conversation has to start somewhere. But to, to substantively create change... And, and deconstruct the systems that are in place institutionally I, I don't really see that work happening. I, I see people talking, I hear people talking yeah. and but as far as the work to create change,
2: yeah.
6: I don't see that. And when I watch the television, when I see a commercial or 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 I see a show, I constantly view the the uh, institutionalized uh, quote-unquote white social construct that's reinforced. I never, ver- frankly, very infrequently do I see um, a black man and a white woman in any kind of intimate situation. And when we are ubiquitous, ubiquitously uh, plastered with, with a, a construct that, that supports what has been in place to support white supremacy and white, white skin privilege, I don't know how we are going to be changing it if we continue to uh, display the same thing in our mass uh, media. That's okay. the first thing I'd like to say. why isn't that changing uh,
4: the mass the mass media or, or, or what aspect of it are you are you asking me about
6: Well uh, why aren't we seeing more well sure sure the mass, the, the mass media. I know that, that it's a big slow turning wheel, and you can't, i can't expect to have things change overnight, but i't I see very, very little change, if if any at all, as far as what I view, as far as the, the, the institutionalized racial, social construct that we have been uh, force-fed here for uh, the past uh, 50, 60 years on television.
4: Well, I think that the, the mass media, the commercial media, the entertainment industry is, first of all, I mean, it's, there are white folks at the top of that industry who ultimately are every bit as invested in the system as it is as anyone else maybe more so because if you're you know if you're at the top of an institutional structure you actually have more stake in it you know than someone at the bottom so so these folks are are folks who even if they do not consciously wake up every day and I think most of them probably don't do this but even if they don't consciously wake up every day and say wow I'm going to go in and program for white supremacy today or I'm going to go in and you know present the news in a way that recreates white supremacy every day, even if they don't consciously do it, um, their frame, their lens that they bring to programming, the lens that they bring to what will sell and what won't sell, and who is the market they're trying to tap, and you know who are they trying to sell products to, which is so much about what networks are really doing, they're, they're selling products as much as they are producing programming, um, then that person is going to have a lens which is going to, more often than not, recreate racism and white supremacy, whether or not there is intent solely because the system is set up to bring about a certain result. And if you have a system that's brought about a certain result for all of that time, the odds of someone who does pretty well in that system turning against it, it's not that they can't, but they've got several things that they're going to have to do every single day, every single week, every single month in order to make that happen. And I think most of them, frankly, haven't been exposed to any uh, real, I hate to use this term because it's really too complicated, but, you know, this sort of problematizing where you take something and make it a problem, uh, they haven't been exposed to the problematizing of that system. For them, they think the system works pretty well, and so they don't see any need to challenge it, and I think that's where consumers, that's where grassroots folks, that's where average everyday folks have to join together to push for change in those institutions, just like any other institution, or to create alternative media, which I think is also at least as important, maybe more so than trying to get the leopard to change its spots, you know, create your own leopard, for lack of a better metaphor. Um, Mr. Wise, I wanted to actually address a comment that was in the chat room. Okay. Um, I believe I know who this person is, but I could be incorrect. I have had a dialogue with this person before. I believe this is a white person, a suspected racist, This person is saying they do not believe it is correct to suspect that all white people could be racist in a system of racism, white supremacy. I just wanted to go back over what we have discussed in this program where
3: you have said consistently from the very beginning it is valid and
4: correct for all non-white people to suspect that every white person, no exception, could be a racist white supremacist. And you've said all white people, directly and or indirectly, are participating in the systemic abuse non-white people. Is that correct? Yes, and it doesn't surprise me that there would be folks who would have a hard time hearing that, both some white folks and some folks of color, because it sounds – see, I think this is what's so important about having these conversations – to the person who hears that statement that you just made and that I concurred with, maybe for the first time or it's something they haven't given a lot of thought to, it seems to be – I don't know whether the proper term is, oh, that that's you know, so impolite or that's so mean. Or some people, including lots of white folks, might think that it's racist for peoples of color to have that suspicion. To me, it's not. To me, that is a matter of looking at the way that the system's constructed and the people who benefit from that system. It would not make any sense. To start with the assumption that they're not affected by that, that they're not participating in that, it you know if you got to make an assumption one way or the other, and we do that as human beings, we make assumptions about everybody we meet, and doesn't mean they're always right, and we have to be open to our suspicion being wrong or being disconfirmed, but to have the suspicion is healthy. It's not the same. I think people hear it and they say, well, I should be innocent, you know, until proven guilty. But this is not a court of law. We're not talking about somebody being brought up on charges where the notion of presumed innocence is obviously a legitimate legal principle. We're just talking about in our interactions with one another. And I think it is healthy for peoples of color, non-white folks, to assume just as a, as a prior condition that if you're in a system like this and you come up upon somebody who benefits from that system, in this case, a system of white supremacy and a person who is defined as white in that system, you ought to assume that they're participating in it, that they've internalized it, just like, in my opinion, on a different level, women ought to think that the men they meet under a system of patriarchy and sexism have internalized that too. I think it would be profoundly dangerous not to assume that. I don't think it's unfair or mean. I do think that that person of color or non-white person should be open to the possibility of disconfirmation. They should be open to the possibility that that white person who they suspect is indeed trying to counter racism. But uh, but the fact that you're open to that doesn't mean you let down your guard. And I just think that that's just, I mean, I think that's common sense. Okay. Would it be correct to say that a white person discourages a non-white person from being suspicious of every white person could be practicing racism, white supremacy? Sure, because that might be one way that you try to further, I mean, saying it could be. I'm not saying it is for that person, but it could be. That that's one way that you try to lower the resistance that people have to the system is by telling them, oh no, don't suspect me. You know, I I don't know. Yeah, I would say that that might be a practice or a tactic of someone who is engaged in the process to act like they're not, or or to act like you shouldn't even shouldn't even question me. You know about that. Yes. Okay. Uh, nine five one. Go ahead. Uh, excuse
1: me, uh, Mr. Uh, Myers, I wanted to ask if you were white? Uh, oh, uh, you'll have to
4: give me a second. He's not on the line, but I, I have spoke with Mr. Myers before. He is a non-white person.
1: Okay, and, and, and going to Mr. White, that would be a, an, an excellent time to inform a non-white victim of racism to suspect all white people, including white people in the quote-unquote mass media, as practicing racism, white supremacy. That's, that's just what I wanted to say there. And, uh. I have a request for you, Mr. Wise. Uh, time that you are speaking in front of non-white people, would you inform them to suspect all white people, including yourself, of practicing racism, and white supremacy, and those words are simply?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, sure, I'm, I'm willing to do that. I I'm probably would use those words and even go deeper into it than just those words. I think it needs to be... Explained as a concept, but I'm willing to use those words as the setup to the explanation. Absolutely.
1: Just, just simply, uh, simple words, concise words, as Gusty Renegade spoke about earlier. I think that'd be very constructive in countering the system.
5: And no, also, if you could, and also if you could uh, direct
1: people to uh, non-white victims of racism specifically to the code by Mister Neely Fuller Jr. and the ISIS papers by Doctor Francis Press Welsing. I heard. You spoke about it uh, briefly earlier. And also, if you could refer non white people to listen to this radio show, the Cows Radio Show, I think that would be uh, very constructive.
4: I can do that too. Yeah, absolutely. That's far right. Um, I want to uh, bring 206 on because I uh, do have him now, so in case he had a follow up or if he wanted to respond to what you just uh, said, 951. So, uh, 206. Yes, I'm.
6: I'm still here, and and thank you. Uh, this is Dave Myers, discussrace.com. Yes, sir. And uh, again, uh, the 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 conversation that we're having, we we've got to have it. It needs to happen. Uh, but what I what I'm not hearing though are constructive pathways to create change. And what I had briefly mentioned before, the reinforcement of our internalized, uh, institutionalized structure here, that uh, w- w- the white skin privilege that uh, is, is com- just ubiquitously shown on television and media print, where you have the, 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 the white male as the dominant white female, you never very, very very, infrequently see a black male and a white female in any kind of an, an intimate position. That I, needs I, to change. Please,
1: I'm, a, I'm a non-white person, and I totally disagree with that, that observation. I see white women with black men and non-white men in general all the time.
6: Well, maybe in society, maybe but I'm saying what is what we're shown on television, and I'm not talking about soaps I'm talking about mainstream TV I very rarely see a black man kiss a white woman and and that's what people see, and that's what will reinforce or 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 or, or, or the the construct that is put in place to to separate the black male from the white female, and I'm not just talking about that, but that's the biggest problem that 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 has historically plagued uh, black men. Okay, Mr. Myers, I I, uh,
1: I want to step in and um earlier okay. to Mr. Wise about some of the comments that she made earlier. I don't know if you heard them. Um, uh, in, in in response to your first question about what's going on with the mass media, um, I ask Mr. Wise. Is actually Mr. Wise? Could you could you just inform Mr. Myers um, what we spoke about earlier? And if with you could regard, tell him
4: with regard to the media, the part that I answered his question. You mean, or something even earlier? No, in regards to all white
1: people, including white people that are in the the quote-unquote mass media. Oh,
4: oh, well, we were just talking about the fact that I think whether we're talking about whites in media or or any other institution, that under a system of white supremacy, I think it is healthy and I think it's logical and reasonable and correct for any person of color slash non-white person, black, brown, whatever the case might be, to be suspicious of any of those individuals who are white, including myself, and certainly you were talking about media, those in media, and to, to be suspicious of uh, them as in all likelihood contributing to that system because when you're raised in it, you internalize it. When you're raised to believe that system is good, you come to believe that it's good very often. And so I think it's, it's healthy to start with that assumption that uh, the reason you see certain outcomes, for example, given, getting back to your question about media, uh, is because the folks who run that institution just like every other institution who are white and who have benefited from the system – have internalized the norms of that system. So it's no mystery, in other words, as to why it's happening. And it's reasonable to suspect, whether it's true or not, you have to sort of investigate and discover. But it's reasonable to suspect white folks uh, in a system of white supremacy, of having both internalized racism and white supremacy at the level of thinking, and to then be operating uh, consciously or unconsciously to further that system at the institutional level. Um, so that's the way of sort of weaving that prior conversation into the question that you had asked, particularly about media. Uh, 631, do you have a question or a comment? 631?
5: Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Um, a question that I have to credit uh, by Dr. Wellesling because she asks this question all the time and I never seem to get a definitive answer from anyone on it, and that is when... What do, white people, what, uh, what do white people say when there are no black people in the room? Now, when I say black people, I'm talking about all non-white people.
4: Right, right, right. Um, well, a couple different things. Depends. The, if, and I've written about this before. I've, I've used this phrase uh, on occasion called white bonding. And what I mean by that is that when there are no non-white persons in the room, no people of color at all, and race comes up, which it often doesn't, uh, but if it does, and it could be it comes up because there's something in the news, or somebody happens to make a comment, or whatever, uh, there is a thing that often happens, in my experience, doesn't always happen, but it happens a lot, whereby all of a sudden, given license, they assume, to make racist comments, to tell a racist joke, to say something that to me at least, is clearly racist. That all of a sudden becomes the green light for that to happen in a way that it likely would not happen and usually does not happen, at least not in the same way, when a person of color is in the room. Now, I don't mean by that that every time I'm in a room where there are no black or brown folks around that racist jokes are being told because that would not be an accurate statement. But if race comes up in a situation where there are no peoples of color, non-white folks in the room... I have observed that hundreds and hundreds of times, so much so that 20 years ago I started calling it white bonding. Um, When that doesn't happen, it's often because, for whatever reason in that gathering, race didn't come up. And a lot of times, of course, when you're in a room as a white person with nothing but white folks, race is so far from the minds of those people, at least consciously, that it doesn't come up at all. And so white folks talk about, in that room, You know, the same thing I guess anyone would talk about, family, their job, I mean, whatever, you know. But when race comes up and people of color are not in the room, in my experience, it is common uh, for, very common for those white folks to think that they can then share racist comments, make racist remarks, tell racist jokes, and that they assume they won't be challenged, which I think is one of the things that keeps white supremacy in place is that assumption that that person can look at me, think, hey, he's white, and I can tell a racist joke to him, and not only will he not object, he'll laugh at it. You know, So to me, that's, that's what I have experienced.
5: Okay, I have two follow-up questions uh, based on what you just said. The first thing sure. is uh, I want a specific example. I want an actual conversation that took place, that that occurred, right. so I can know exactly what was said in the conversation. And two, I want to also, um, uh, to your last point, I can't remember it now, just loves my train of thought. Okay. Um, but uh, when I think about it, maybe I'll ask you, but I just wanted to have a specific example because it seems to me like we get a lot of, okay, they say racist jokes, they say this, but we never get a definitive, what did they say exactly? Oh, okay. And, and, exact, and also, as a follow-up, what do white people do as a result of that? Now, you did say that some just sit in silence, but what yeah. about some others?
4: Yeah. All right, let me, let, let me give you an example, uh, and it's one I've written about before. Um, when I was in college uh, at Tulane in New Orleans, I was in a classroom, a uh, sociology classroom, and this particular class did not have any folks of color in it, or at least if there were, they were not in the room at this particular time on this particular day. And there was a young man uh, in that class, white, who was actually, and very disturbingly, the head of the literacy project which Tulane was running in some of the New Orleans public schools, which basically was you know, tutoring black kids in the city schools. And he was the head of this thing at Tulane, white, white young white man. And he was in the class and showing to a group of us, not everyone in the class, but a group of other white folks, the picture of the little boy who he was working with, who I believe was probably about 10 years old, and he was talking about, oh yeah, this is, and I can't remember the kid's name, but he, you know, this is so and so and yeah, he's really great and he's really cute and all that, and then he said But, you know, it doesn't mean anything because when he's 14 or 15, he's just going to be, and then he uses the racial slur, which I won't repeat on the air. I have a practice of not repeating it, but I don't think it takes a lot of of, uh, assumption to figure out the word that he used. And as I have written about in my book, White Like Me, I dropped the ball as did every other white person. I mean, I made a look, but I did not challenge him, and it's something with which I've lived for years. And now I make a practice of Making sure to challenge that behavior, but that was one of those examples where he said that calls this 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 young man by a racial slur and has the assumption that he will be protected in that. And on that day, he most certainly was. Another example, uh, maybe two years ago, I was in a taxi cab, uh, had a white driver in the taxi cab, and he happened to ask me what I do for a living and. You know, I was trying to keep it fairly simple because I was tired. I'd had a long day. I just said, "Well, I'm a writer." And he said, "Well, what do you write about?" And then I got more specific, and it was strange because even though I said to him, "I am a writer. I do anti-racism, you know, writing and 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 talks and such," so you know, you'd think that when you say you do anti-racism work that that person would not respond with a racist comment and yet he then proceeded to say and I'm and I'm not remembering the exact quote but it was something along the lines of Well, you know what those people need to do is and then he proceeded to say you know something along the lines of stop having babies out of wedlock stop killing each other stop you know in other words basically blaming and he was talking about black folks in that particular community blaming black people for all the problems that existed in that community now i i push back on him and challenge that but that's the kind of thing it's that kind of 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 thing which a person assumes they can say and that there will be no challenge, or it's back in 1990-91 I was working in Louisiana against David Duke, neo-Nazi, historically the nation's probably most prominent white supremacist, overt white supremacist at the current moment, who was running for senate and governor, and if I found myself in a group of only white folks, it might have been in a restaurant, at a bar, at a Mardi Gras parade, if there were no black or brown folks around, and Duke's name came up, which in those days it did. I mean, it'd be right there on the television in the bar, or whatever. You would have white folks who would start to cheer. Um, you know, maybe they wouldn't have done that if there were folks of color in the room, but with only white folks, they did. So those would be a few examples. Uh, you know, and there are more, but those were a few of them. I found uh, that very interesting that you said when you were speaking with the white person who was driving the cab and you told him that you are a writer and that you do anti-racist work, uh, even that he did not
3: relent from making suspected racist comments um,
4: in terms of how he responded to you. Is that correct? Yeah, right. Right. It It was was almost as if he assumed that in spite of what I said well maybe he didn't understand the meaning of anti racist, but also it could have just been that he assumed that in that moment our quote unquote brotherhood as white men would somehow trump even that which I do daily, you know, and and, and it really gets to the heart of this white bonding problem, which is that there is this assumption that white folks make. Um, which is similar, though not the same, to the assumption that sometimes men make when we're just around men and somebody thinks, oh, I can make a sexist comment, and surely all the men will say that's okay. There there are parallels uh, in many different areas of life, but it seems, even though it doesn't happen every time, uh, those kinds of things happen regularly enough that they make you scratch your head because you think that you've sufficiently said what you do or what you're about, and yet folks will still cut loose with those kinds of things. And sometimes they'll even preface it, I should point out, with, like if I say, oh, I do anti-racism work or whatnot, they might preface it by saying, well, I know I probably shouldn't say this, but dot, dot, dot. And then they'll, they'll say whatever it is, the joke, which is really interesting because now they're actually saying, I know this is wrong. I know this is messed up. I know you probably are not going to approve, but I'm going to say it anyway, which to me is fascinating. Why would you say something? If you really thought that that person was going to be offended by it, either you must think that they <laughs> that they really secretly want to hear that joke, or you just must not care um, and you must just assume that uh well, i'm going to say it anyway because I can, and because surely you won't get angry or you won't actually say anything to me, um, which unfortunately sometimes is true, you know sometimes the white folks who ought to know better and who claim to know better. Sometimes we do drop the ball, and so maybe that empowers such folks to make those comments. I don't know. Wow. Uh, In my view, that speaks to the power of the system of racism, white supremacy, and uh, the strength with which white people bond and adhere uh, to functioning in a manner that supports racism, white supremacy, and abusing non-white people Um, I wanted to uh, go back. I had a couple questions before we wrap things up. I wanted to go back to uh, Dave Meyer's comment. Uh, He called it and he was saying that I found it fascinating because, in my view, the sexual intercourse between white people and non-white people is a critical area that shows the alarming inability that non-white people are just unable to be suspicious of white people. If we were suspicious of all white people, it would be no problem saying we're not going to engage in sexual intercourse with white people until the system of racism, white supremacy has been replaced with a system of justice. I have found that non-white people completely unwilling to do that uh, and even view sexual intercourse with a white person and a non-white person as progress against the system of white supremacy and Mr. Meyer's comments seem to imply that he said and unless I am incorrect he said he did not see black males or non-white people kissing a white person on television and he felt that was evidence of racism white supremacy to me that seems to imply if I saw images of a white person and a non-white person that would suggest they're in a sexual relationship. I would feel we're making progress in the system of racism, white supremacy. What I just said, does that make logical sense and do you see why I am so insistent on saying this sexual intercourse is incorrect? It has a devastating impact on the non-white person's ability to think honestly. About the system of racism, white supremacy, and to be suspicious of white people
1: well i'm not I'm not clear
4: what Dave's meaning was with that part of his question. I was a bit confused by it, to be honest as to whether he he meant to imply that he wanted to see more of that or that that would be helpful. I think you could draw that conclusion, uh, which which you just drew from what he what he said. My sense of it is that uh, this issue of whether or not folks are having that kind of a romantic slash sexual relationship on TV or not, Uh, is not going to be the or a linchpin uh, to undermining a system of white supremacy. I've long been critical of the suggestion, and I don't know that this is Dave's suggestion, but the suggestion of the sort of Bullworth solution, so to speak, to racism, which for those who recall the film, which I think came out in 96 or 97, this film uh, in which, you uh, know… Halle
3: Berry.
4: Yeah, Halle Berry's in it, and and, uh, what's his name? Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty, right, and Warren Beatty plays the senator who, uh, you know, it's interesting film, but, but, his, but his claim ultimately that he makes as this white senator, um, and I think he makes it in a room that's mostly black folks, though I can't recall the scene. It's been a long time since I saw it, but he sort of makes the suggestion, or maybe it's in an interview, he makes the suggestion that the answer to racism is basically that we just all need to sleep with each other, and, you know, I remember thinking at the time you know not and i don't have the the same critique of 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 interracial r- romantic or sexual relationships that you have but i do remember thinking how facile that was you know the idea that somehow that was going to be a solution that we could in effect uh, miscegenate our way out of racism and white supremacy seemed horribly simplistic and more than that actually seemed to be potentially dangerous in the sense that we would then let our guard down, not just the larger society, but folks in those relationships, to the power dynamic and the tensions that can and do so often manifest in them. And again, I'm not I'm not on board with the same position that you have about that larger subject, but I am saying, you know, to have such a simplistic message put out in that film or to have the suggestion made that all we need is more interracial relationships and everything will be okay is to ignore the systemic nature of the problem and how sometimes closeness, whether it's sexual or or, or even if it's just close friends, where we're not addressing that dynamic can can be very very uh, problematic is too 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 mild a word. Can actually be very dangerous. So so I think that if that is what Dave was su- suggesting, I would disagree with it. Okay, I just wanted to point that out because I did find that very interesting. And I have heard many non-white people, victims of white supremacy, suggest or even explicitly that they think sexual intercourse between non-white people and white people is evidence that we're making progress in replacing white supremacy with justice, and I wholeheartedly agree with what you are saying, that that is just not true and really ignores the systemic nature of this problem uh, and that that doesn't really rep- represent progress at all. Um, I did want to point out, um, I have referenced you. When you were on the previous program, you said you are an admitted racist white supremacist and that all white people... Uh, in the system of racism, white supremacy, participate in the system, and are racist white supremacists. They directly and or indirectly mistreat harm non-white people. Is it incorrect uh, for me to reference you as an admitted white supremacist? Well, I guess it's just incomplete, and here's what I mean by that. Um, When you asked me the question the first time, as I recall, Hmm. and it was like a year ago, I – you 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 know you asked me, and I said, sure, absolutely. And what I mean by that is what I've said a couple times on the show, which is, look, to be white raised in a system where you are led to believe every aspect of the culture tells you that your group is superior, that it would be impossible, at least so far as I can imagine, for such a person to have resisted that conditioning. That doesn't mean everybody will accept the conditioning at the same level. There will be a, a spectrum of internalization of that, but we're all those of us white in that system going to have internalized some aspect of racist white supremacist thinking. Now, where, we, where you and I might disagree in terms of the way we're defining the concept, I would not necessarily say that all white people are uh, active and willing and deliberate participants in a system of white supremacy, which I understand is a systemic thing I do think we're all implicated in it by virtue of the privileges we receive. I think we're all indirectly involved in it just by virtue of living in that system and, you know, even when we're challenging it, we still are profiting and benefiting from it. So we're implicated, but I do think there is a difference, and it may not be a huge one in some folks' minds, but I think it's a difference nonetheless, between implicit implication and indirect involvement and deliberate, conscious, on purpose, involvement, as in, I want this system to continue. So what I admitted to, and what I admit to again, is the internalization of the viewpoint, of the worldview, of the of the lens of white supremacy. What I don't admit to, in fact, what I very strenuously reject, uh, is that system of white supremacy. So I'm trying to counter-condition myself, and have for many years tried to, and I'm still trying, to counter-condition myself to the thinking and to actively challenge the system. Uh, but i'm still implicated in the system so if if that means based on your definition that i'm admitting to being a racist and white supremacist under your definition so be it i I would i would just want to specify what i'm admitting to is the internalization of those beliefs and those norms but i'm also claiming that to be an admitted racist white supremacist at that level does not limit me to that in other words we can have multiple things which contradict as part of us at the same time. I've internalized racism, but I've also internalized by virtue of how I was raised, the things I was taught, the mentors that I have had as a young adult and as an adult, I've also internalized anti-racism. Those two things are battling with one another as they would be in any white person who chooses to challenge that system, but they can both exist. One can have both racism and white supremacy as part of who one is, but yet that is not all of who one is. So I just... I I want to make sure that nuance is there because I think when people hear the phrase admitted white supremacist, sadly, if people have not been trained to think of the systemic aspects of that or the way that we're discussing it, which I think is a much deeper way than the larger culture discusses it, when they hear that they think, oh, Tim Wise, admitted racist white supremacist, he must be a Nazi. Now that's not what you're meaning and that's not what I'm meaning. But unfortunately, people hear it, and they jump to that conclusion, which tends to shut down conversation rather than open it up. So I think even though, yeah, we want to use simple, easy-to-understand language, we have to understand that if folks' understanding of words is incorrect or imprecise or incomplete, that sometimes the conversation has to go deeper than a simple descriptor. So yes, do I admit to racism and white supremacy at the level of ideology? Yes. Do I admit to actively, consciously, deliberately seeking to damage and exploit peoples of color all around the globe, which would be the systemic nature of white supremacy? No, I certainly do not consciously seek that. Uh, whether or not I'm implicated in it just by virtue of being alive in that system is a different issue. But, but as far as the conscious, deliberate uh, uh, usage of that system or desire to see that system maintained – I don't admit to that because I don't want that system to be maintained. I very much want that system to be replaced. Okay. And my feeling on that, as
3: I said before, non-white people are easily confused uh, with words. You are very skilled with words. Uh, You know
4: the problems non-white people face in the so-called educational system uh, worldwide, I think everyone who has some familiarity with racism and white supremacy understands problems non-white people have had and continue to have,
3: and that shows up in our inability to communicate effectively and efficiently. The problem that I have found is that non-white people uh, have a very difficult time holding on to the suspicion and that Mr. Wise admits to participating in the system, in the excuse me, in the
4: systemic abuse of non white people. They only latch on to he's an anti racist. Now I don't even know if they have a clear understanding of what that means and they certainly don't have a suspicion around what he says he's doing anti racist work under the system of racism and white supremacy. None of us could prove we're doing anti racist work. We could only say, well, I hope these are my intentions,
3: but you know we're still in the system of racism, white supremacy. So until that ends, I,
4: this is what I say, this is what I claim, this is what I allege to do. It might not be, and if you're a non-white person, it would be logical for you to be suspicious of what I say I am doing. That's what I don't see with non-white people, and I even spoke with a non-white person. He had
3: a signed copy of your book, and I said Tim Wise admitted
4: to being a white supremacist. He admitted to participating in the systemic abuse of non-white people. And he said he's an anti-racist. And the non-white person continually disregarded the first portion. And I said, hold on, let's,
3: let's think about this. If I told you I sell crack and I'm anti-crack, what would you say? And he said, well, I'd say you're, taking,
4: you're, you're, you're playing with the words. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, I would say you're being deceptive. And I said, okay, so is Mr. Wise being deceptive? when he says he is a white supremacist and he's an anti-racist. And he said, no, 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 I didn't want to say that. And I said, well,
3: it's the same thing. I I feel it would be most correct. I feel it's the same thing. I feel it would be most correct to say I am a white person.
4: I participate directly and or indirectly in harming non-white people systemically. I am alleging that I'm doing counter-racist work. I'm trying to be an anti-racist yeah well, here's the thing, and I think the difference may be in the in, with the crack analogy. Um, for example, someone who sells crack is very clearly directly and, and and I don't think people you know subconsciously sell crack. If you sell crack, you do it very deliberately as a way to make money or whatever else, uh, without regard for the consequences. You can't indirectly sell it. you directly sell it. So the analogy to me professing that yes, you know I've internalized. Uh, White supremacy, and I contribute to white supremacy even if I don't want to, wouldn't be the crack dealer. It would be the person who, for example, by virtue of driving a car, participating in the oil economy, helps to prop up Let's say the construction of an oil pipeline in Afghanistan where poppy seeds come into the, you know, are turned into heroin and become drugs on the street of the United States. Now, one could make the argument, and I would, that any of us who contribute to the industrial economy that's oil dependent contribute to a lot of things, including drug dealing, uh, including environmental destruction, whether we choose to or whether we don't, and yet we could claim, could we not, at least I would certainly say that we could, that in spite of that, the fact that I directly contribute and indirectly contribute whether I seek to or not to that system every day yet I still am anti-drug or I still am anti-pollution I think that would be a more direct analogy to what I'm claiming I think what might have tripped this individual up and I don't know for sure because I don't know who it is and haven't spoken with this person but I think the problem is that when you use language the way you do when you say he's an admitted racist white supremacist because we have been conditioned in this society to hear that when, you, when I use the term white supremacy, I find, for example, significant pushback from both white folks and folks of color oftentimes because they think that I'm talking about Nazis, skinheads, the Klan, David Duke, etc. And so when I even use the term white supremacy as interchangeable with racism or even in place of racism… It's, I, I notice people. I've even had people say to me, "Oh yeah, you know that Klan? Boy, they're really, you know, they're organizing now more than ever." Or, "Oh yeah, there were some Nazis in our hometown." And then I've got to clarify. Wait, wait, that's not what I meant. And so this individual may be hearing you use that phrase. And when he says, "Well, you're playing with words," I'm not saying you are or are not. But when he says that, it sounds to me like what he might be saying is, "Well, he's not admitting to being that kind." of a racist, he's meaning that he has, just like I said it, that he's internalized racist beliefs and he writes about that. And if he's read my book that he had signed, he knows I write about that. I have a whole chapter on that that deals with that. So I, I admit to that as a matter of integrity and honesty and as a way to check myself. Because the problem is if I don't admit to that, if I don't acknowledge that that's part of me, not only am I being dishonest, but I'm also really setting up a situation where a person of color in particular who reads my book, let's say, if I don't have that in there, boy, you want to talk about not having a healthy skepticism, it's going to get even worse because now I will not even have put that in. What I have found is that – you know, understood the way that I'm using the phrase that I've internalized those norms and those beliefs, but I am challenging those by writing against the system, by talking about the destruction of the system, by challenging people to challenge the system. Um, you can see that I'm doing that. Now, one can question whether it's effective or not. One can say, well, it's not having any impact. Okay, and, and that can be a position one can take, but there's no question that I'm doing it. So to say, well, I allege to be, look, if I get up and give an hour and a half talk where I'm railing on the system of white supremacy and I'm talking about the damage that it does. Whether that's effective is a fair question, but there's no question that, that's, that that is a talk about racism and in opposition to racism. So it's anti-racism work. Whether it's effective is a different issue. But I think it's it wouldn't be fair to say, well, he only alleges to be doing you know, If I'm giving that talk, if I'm writing that book, I don't see how one can read my books or listen to my speech and say, well, that wasn't a speech against racism well of course it was whether it means anything whether it takes whether it whether it affects racism or not i don't know but that was certainly not just a claim i mean it was what the work was and uh, so i think those two things can both exist in in someone's head at once and that may be uh why this individual didn't feel comfortable focusing on the first part even though i look i already said many times i think it's healthy for that individual to look at my work and take what he he or she can out of that that's helpful, but to still wonder about me and any other white person and to suspect us of what, in my case, I admit to, but which many others might not, which is that we're implicated in that system. I guess the problem I have is that I don't uh, don't reference myself as a counter-racist. I would not tell anyone, based on the program that I do, the blog that I have, Any work that I do where I'm talking about writing about racism, white supremacy, I do not tell them I am a counter-racist, I am an anti-racist, because I cannot prove it as long as we're in a system of racism, white supremacy. And I would certainly say for any white person, you yourself said earlier in this program, it is possible that a white person could do everything you
3: are doing and still consciously practice racism, white supremacy. At the end of the day, I feel the suspicion needs to go far enough to say, hey, Mr. Wise does these lectures, he writes these
4: books, he tours, he talks about, he writes about racism, white supremacy. I do not think it is accurate, and I do not think you or anyone else can prove that their work is anti-racist or counter-racist as long as the system of white supremacy exists. Well, I guess then our difference is, is, is in w- how we define anti or counter. If we're looking at outcomes, then sure, because I can't prove – look, the system's still here, so in that regard, all of us are failures in, in, in the work that we claim to be doing trying to counter racism, I guess.
3: Exactly. Um,
4: but I just look at the dictionary definition of anti or counter, and it just means against which is to say that if I am speaking against racism, uh, if I'm speaking against white supremacy, um, that it is anti by definition grammatically, whether it is effective, whether it is in operation successful, to me is not part of the dictionary definition, the pure grammatical meaning of the term anti or counter. Does it counter? Does it end? Does it eliminate? That is an important question, And a separate question that none of us can answer in the affirmative yet because the system is still there, so we all have to remain agnostic about that right now, but I I just am looking at a basic definition of anti or counter, and in every dictionary that I would look in, it just means to be against something. So I'm speaking against racism. I'm writing against racism. I don't see how anyone could read my work or listen to my speak and say, no, I'm not sure that you're actually speaking against racism. I would say it's pretty clear that I am. I may not be doing it the way some folks think I should or as effectively or with precisely the words, but I mean, it's pretty obvious. I'm not getting up giving a pro-racism speech or a neutral speech where I say, well, there's this argument on this side, but there's this argument on that side. I'm taking a pretty clear stance that racism is wrong, that racism is institutionalized, and it needs to be challenged. Um, And so I'm just That's just how I'm looking at the term "anti," but I I agree with you that in terms of effectiveness, none of us can claim, uh, white or folks of color, at this stage, that anything that we're doing uh, has been effective because the system's still here. Exactly. And my view, all the non-white people, I feel it would be construction and constructive. Excuse me. I think it would be constructive, and I think it would evidence healthy suspicion to take the stance that. All of the white people who say they're doing anti-racist work allege to do anti-racist work. And I have heard several white people give presentations, write books ostensibly against racism, white supremacy, but I do not think their work is anti-racism, against racism. I think they are practicing a very refined form of white supremacy where they give the impression that they do not support racism, white supremacy, where they are against it, but in fact, they still practice racism, white supremacy. Uh, I have seen lots of white people, even in your work, in not explicitly saying that non-white people should be suspicious of every white person in the system of racism, white supremacy. As the earlier caller said, I agree. I suspect that could be a conscious example of racism, white supremacy being practiced by not saying that, explicitly to non white people since we both agree that suspicion is healthy, it is sure. a form of self-defense, and it needs to be there. So I I feel it would be very logical and I think a lot of non-white people have taken the position that many white people, including yourself, mm-hmm. who allege to practicing racism and white supremacy, are or excuse me, are many white people who allege to being anti racist right. or counter racist are, in fact, practicing racism, white supremacy in a very subtle and deceptive form. Um,
3: I wanted to ask because I wanted to make sure that I shared all of my views with you
4: publicly so that you knew how I felt and I could give you an opportunity to respond. The metaphor, uh, based on, you said that you have uh, got a lot of information about racism, white supremacy from non-white scholars, non-white people have shared Uh, things with you so that you have a better grasp of racism, white supremacy. They help uh, correct your work or or tell you things so that you can improve. They give you suggestions and what have you. Uh, The metaphor that I came up with and I wanted to share it with you, if you don't think it's correct,
3: I'll rethink. The metaphor that I've came up with, I feel, Tim
4: Wise, I feel the way that you function in terms of your work. I think the metaphor that works best would be Tim Wise is the Elvis Presley of counter-racism, right? And when I say that, I mean, same as Elvis Presley, takes a lot of material from non-white people, is able to go out and be very successful with this material that non-white people could not go out and be successful with, even though they came up with a lot of this material, and he's blatantly practicing racism, white supremacy, in being successful in using their work mistreating non-white people. And Tennessee, is not uh, you're not that far from Graceland uh, in Nashville. Do you feel that that metaphor is correct? Um, you know, I think it is a fair comment. And let me just say, uh, it's not something I've never thought of or, or never concerned myself with, because I'm fully aware of how Elvis um, exploited and used the work of folks of color who came before him uh, often took credit for it and certainly was given credit for it uh, that was not deserved. And so I'm fully aware of it. Um, I'm not uncomfortable with the metaphor. I try, knowing that I think there's some truth in that, even a lot of truth in that, and certainly a lot of potential truth in that, that I try to be as, A, mindful of it, and B, as accountable for challenging that truth as I can be, not by denying that it's true, because I think you have a point, but by saying, if I am going to be elevated in that fashion, I want to make sure that I'm doing what, frankly, Elvis never did in regard to music, which is I need to be not only talking about the wisdom of those folks of color from whom I have learned, but I need to be naming them. I need to be making sure folks are reading them. I need to be putting their books on my, on my recommended reading list that I give out at events or that I have on my website. I need to be uh, bringing, making sure that those schools or whatever that bring me in are also bringing in some of those scholars. In other words, Elvis, to my knowledge, didn't do any of that. Elvis, to my knowledge, did not help uh, folk of color from whom he borrowed or other folks of color uh, when it came to getting their records heard or getting their music heard or making sure that folks even knew that he borrowed. I mean, some knew, some didn't, but I doubt that he made a big a big issue of it, which I think was a lack of accountability and responsibility on his part. Uh, The truth is, look, uh, as a white person in this system, I am either going to receive the benefits of of white supremacy as a white person in that system um, and do nothing about it in the sense that I don't speak out and I don't challenge it and maybe I don't write and I don't go give lectures. And maybe I could do that. I could go that way, in which case – I could at least claim. Well, I guess I'm not a hypocrite. You know, um, I'm not claiming to challenge it and then going out and in some way benefiting. The question is, however, the other alternative, which is that I will receive the benefits of it, but I will also try to speak out against it and to challenge that system. It seems to me, and I could be wrong in this, but it seems to me a better choice for me given the very limited set of skills that I have, which are written and the spoken language, and there's none else um, that, I, that I have. Those are good ones to have, but those are the only two I've got. It seems to me a better choice for me to use the privilege and the elevated voice that I have, the amplified voice that I have, as a result of white privilege and male privilege, for the purpose of challenging that system in other people's minds by planting the seeds of doubt that this is a legitimate system for all life on the planet, because I think it's destructive. Uh, I guess I could go the other way, and I could not, quote-unquote, take advantage of it by going out and speaking against it, but I just don't see how that, this is just for me, how that would be beneficial. If I thought, and I'll tell you this straight up, if I thought that me not speaking about racism and white supremacy, that me not writing about racism and white supremacy, Would somehow further the cause of undoing racism and white supremacy and actually truly make a difference by not doing the work, I would stop doing the work. But I don't believe that that's true. And I don't believe that had I not done this work for the last 20 years, that that would have made a difference positively. Not that the work I've done has changed the system either, because like I just said, I realize it hasn't. But I don't think that not doing it would have been any more helpful. I tend to believe what Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Touré, H. Rapp Brown, and others in SNCC in the late 60s believed when they told white folks in SNCC, you need to go and challenge your people, because for whatever reason, racism first and foremost, they won't listen to us. I think they were right in 1967 when they told white folks to do that, and I think if more white folks had taken that advice and done what those folks of color asked who were, you know, these these were no naive, wilting flowers in the face of white supremacy. They understood that system, I think, exceedingly well, telling white folks that that's what they needed to do. Most of us didn't do it, and I think that's what we need to be doing, but if we're going to do it, absolutely, so as not to fall into the Elvis syndrome, or the M&M syndrome, or any you know, metaphor, you can draw it out even into the present time. You have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, point to those folks who were your mentors, constantly remind audiences that those mentors are out there so they don't give you all the credit. And, And I hope, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I hope that as a result of my work there are folks out there, white and folks of color, who have discovered the work of folks of color that maybe they would not have been familiar with previously. I know I've had people tell me that is true. With regard to the work of James Baldwin, who I quote regularly, to the work of, of Dr. Marimba Ani, uh, who, who, who they did not know previously, uh, I oftentimes quote uh, Neely Fuller and, and mention his name and point people in the direction of his work, and many people had never heard of Neely Fuller before I did that. So if I can do that, and I